Fill her up. You're listening to the Gas Digital Network. What up, what up, what up, podcast party people, I'm chillin' like a villain, rockin' out, I'm a little tired today, I'm a little tired today, that's right, I stayed out late last night at the Soulfly Short Fuse Earth Crawler Show. And uh, it was a good one. It was a good one. Hung out with Max for a little bit. Went out to lunch with Dino. Casares. Casares. We had some mole tacos over at uh, Cancun Taqueria, which is bomb. Just fucking awesome. And then I went and I uh, kicked it over there. I went to the sound check. And those guys were sound checking. Seek and strike, seek and strike, strike. Seek and strike, seek and strike, strike. And uh, I guess they hadn't been playing it. So it was kind of a new song in the set. Anyway, after the sound check, kicked it with Max for a minute. It was cool. He was in good spirits. It was good to catch up. I hadn't seen him in a while, man. Like, we just hadn't crossed paths. I had Dino on the podcast. Max said he wants to come on the podcast. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Let's fucking do it. Let's do it. So uh, that should be coming down soon. I think that'll be a good one, right? That'll be a good one. What kind of questions we're going to ask Max? Don't want to go into the, all the Sepultura stuff. I'm sure it'll go there. Depends on how much time I get with him, too. You know, like... Sometimes people only want to do a certain amount of time, but we can go like, you know, sometimes when it's just open, free conversation, they're awesome. That's when that's, that's when they're the best, you know, no restrictions can kind of just let the conversation flow. Kind of like this conversation that I'm about to have with Frank from Metal Injection. If you did not know, big news in the Metal Injection world. And, uh. We talk about that on the podcast, but this is a really good podcast, man. I was super stoked on this. Anyway, the show was great last night. I stayed up way past my bedtime and then had to get up and get my kids ready for school today. Just kind of make sure that they get out the door and get up and everything. So, yeah, I'm a little tired. But Soulfly was killing it. Soulfly killed it last night. Fucking rocking, grooving. Fucking drummer just banging. It's a fun time. It's cool, too, seeing Dino and Max on stage. You know, this is the first time I've seen those two pair. It's the first time I've actually ever seen Dino ever play with another guitar player. I guess other than, like, Roadrunner United, I saw him play with other people. But, you know, he's, like, in a band now with another guitar player, and that's cool. They got, like, a they got like a little chemistry between them. It's pretty cool to see. You know, I don't even know if I recall Max having that kind of a chemistry with somebody. It was It was, it was really interesting to see. I liked it. I dug it a lot. It was, yeah, it was rocking. I hadn't seen Soulfly in a minute, too. So 
They fucking, they brought the bangers out. They brought the bangers out. Seek and Strike was killer too. Seek and Strike, Seek and Strike, Strike. Primitive. Back to the primitive. Fuck all your politics. It's good shit. Um, I guess I went and saw Bitchware the other day. My war- my rock wall is coming along. In case I, I think I talked about that the other day. I carried even bought even more rocks. Another seven hundred pounds worth of rocks. Bought that. Carried it up there. I think we're gonna work on it a little bit on Thursday. Just kind of like get it. we got it about three rocks high now. And then I bought some little small rocks to kind of stuff in the holes and kind of balance it a little bit better. But I'm digging it, man. My rock wall is coming along. It's a fucking lot of weight. It's a lot of rocks to carry. This is my, I think this is my fourth trip to the to the rock and soil place, which is called Acapulco Rock and Soil. And they got a fucking, it's in like the Albany-Berkeley border. They got a killer selection. I know it sounds ridiculous to say, but they got a killer selection of rocks. Like it's, They've got awesome rocks. Like awesome. So you go to some of these places, they don't have a lot of selection and they've got fucking tons of rocks and it's cheap. You know, like you want to make some, your backyard look cool for cheap. It's like, you know, 75 bucks for 700 pounds of rocks. It's pretty, you know, it's a pretty good deal. And it just looks cool. Like hard, hardscaping, they call it. So, uh, yeah, doing that. I uh, went to Craig LaCicero from Forbidden. His father, his stepfather passed away, and he invited me to the funeral. I went to the funeral on Saturday, and it was a really nice funeral. Super just a lot. Craig spoke really well. His his uh, stepbrother spoke really well. It was like told a bunch of really funny stories, and yeah, it was, it was pretty it was pretty cool. It was great seeing his mom, Alice, and. And and then Craig had a bunch of friends there that you know from from the very very early forbidden evil forbidden days, and uh, like all the guys that used to drive for us, and he's maintained like friendships with all these guys, and and he still lives in the Hayward Fremont area. They all go to Niner games, and so it was cool catching up with all those dudes. Pat Curran, who we called, who who used to call Cat Urine, <laughs> Pat Curran, Cat Urine, and. uh no, Eric Johnson and a bunch of it was cool. It was much cool. It was cool seeing a bunch of the Jeff Gomes was there. Yeah, it was a good vibe, man. You know, it was a kind of sad the reason we were getting together, but on the other hand, it was it was good celebration of his life, and it was just good seeing all some some old homies telling some crazy, telling some really funny stories. We somehow got into the conversation of Gigi Allen and the time I Eric Johnson was in the Slambodians and they opened for Gigi Allen. I was at the show. Didn't, I guess I missed the Slambodians. I didn't know he was even there. <laughs> we both talked, both talked about the fucking show. Yep. I saw Gigi Allen. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell that story though. I'll tell it on, uh, when I got a shorter podcast, I'll tell that story. Cause the Gigi Allen stories. Oh my God. It's fucking funny and crazy. The fucking craziest shit you ever heard. Yeah. I saw Gigi Allen twice. Twice you see all these posers rocking Gigi Allen shirts. They never even saw this motherfucker. No, I saw him twice. They didn't even have merch for sale. <laughs> you couldn't even buy a Gigi Allen shirt at these shows. <laughs> now I see motherfuckers rocking Gigi Allen shirts. I'm like, come on now. 
That's after the fact. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to do a short intro because this was a pretty long interview and I want to get right into it. I think it's really good. I think you guys are going to be really, you know, Frank runs Metal Injection and now Metal Sucks. But he's got he's got a really crazy story, man. And it's, uh, you know, pretty pretty rad to see a dude who basically started like a, you know, what started out as essentially a blog and kind of a video show that ended up on cable cable TV at 3 in the morning turned into, you know, one of the biggest metal sites around. And, uh, yeah, and all independently, you know, not with some kind of corporate backing or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Frank Godla from Metal Injection and Now Metal Sucks. Frank Godla. What's up, man? How you doing, dude? I love it. Uh, dude, that beautiful mane of yours just gets wilder every year, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? This one or this one? <laughs> Both, actually. They're looking uh, lioness. This one's, this one's looking pretty gray right now. <laughs> oh, I got a couple of those coming in. Come on. Dude, I was just perusing your Instagram with the fucking, I mean, jaw-dropping trip to Africa. I was just, dude, I mean, it looked like the fucking greatest thing ever. I mean, I was pretty blown away by, I mean, just awesome pictures of animals, the fucking crazy waterfall, like, dude. Yeah, dude, you know, I'm, I'm sure you could uh, relate, but it's, you know, I, I've definitely been to a lot of places in the world because of metal. Uh, you know, I've been through touring bands and, and working, you know, the festival circuits and everything like that. So you get to see a lot of the world, but, you know, I always feel like it's like a sampler. Like there's like, you know, places that you want to go back to or things that really are for no reason, you know, not metal related at all that you want to go to and check out in life. And um, this Southern Africa territory was one of those things for me. You know, I, I always wanted to never got a chance, but wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was tripping out on that. The, the first picture of you where you're like literally on the edge of a waterfall. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck is that? I, you know, like, I scrolled past and read the whole story. It's like, is that Maybe I'm uh, reading it wrong, but that you can only do this for like a certain time of the year or something like that. Yeah. So basically it's only like two or three months out of the year where the water is like at the right level um, and not, you know, forcefully throwing you <laughs> over the edge. Right. Uh, I mean, it's like the world's largest waterfall and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's surreal to just even be there. Um, you know, I, I, and then because of the pandemic and and more so because of Omicron that just, uh, you know, happened because I, I went out in December uh, of late last year and it's right when Omicron was like the big scare and everybody's like, don't go to Africa. You know, even my, my mom was slipping out and stuff, but, um, and when I get there, I kind of realize like how, you know, the misinformation really gets out there. It's, it's, you know, even though they discovered it there, it's not necessarily where it came from. And the way that they control the pandemic and, and uh, you know, procedures and stuff like that is the height of security there is, is just way beyond anything that we've ever seen here. You know, I mean, like they have people at every single door, every entrance with like, they're designated to just spray you down your, your shoe, your shoes and your hands. Wow. Um, you have to have uh, tracing at everywhere you go. Like I've never filled out so much paperwork in my life to just like go to a, like, you know, a restaurant or something like that. Um, and then you, 
are you have it's mandatory that you have a mask on indoors and outdoors or it's a five hundred dollar fine wow so they take it pretty seriously yeah they're not fucking around yeah and and you know so when i people were telling me not to go and then i'm there and i see what it is it's like wow this is really not what i expected and i think if people knew back home what to expect then they wouldn't be saying that you know yeah Still seem it seems so beautiful though. Like Oh I, dude, I it was amazing. I would recommend it to anyone who's, you know, into something truly unique. Um and just, you know, into animals. I mean, I got I got to be on safari for a lot of it. I was camping, you know, and it's it's just wild to like fall asleep to, you know, the sound sounds of like elephants and, and lions and you know, shit like that. I, 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 that might keep me up, you know, like, just like, are they coming here? Uh, you know, there was a couple of moments I think where like, you know, the anxiety acts up, but for the most part, I was just in my element. Like You're I love in a tent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's rad. Yeah. That's rad. We did me and my kids and my wife did, um, it, it's called like Safari West or something like that. And it was like a, it, this crazy guy has a giant piece of property and he just made it basically Africa. He like imported lions and elephants and giraffes and, and they set up little cabins that you can have it, but it's all like, you know, it's pretty, you know, there's no uh, screens on the windows. So you can hear like when, like we heard a total fight between animals at like three in the morning, you know, shit like that. Wow. And this was over there in, uh, was here in California. Yeah. This is, <laughs> but I would like, you know, it was crazy. Like it was crazy to hear fucking animals like fighting right outside your, yeah cabin and so like i would you know i would imagine that you know some wild shit like that would happen maybe on that man i love camping so much and i've done my fair share throughout all of america uh especially during the pandemic to kind of get my head right you know that was one thing i did i I went to like 17 national parks and lived out of my car for a month you know um you know so i'm sorry just you alone or like yeah yeah, why not yeah right all right cool i mean it you know I, i travel alone a lot you know um like I've been to every single country I've ever been to in Africa, North and South has always been alone. Um, okay. I wouldn't recommend that, <laughs> Yeah, but I did, you know, yeah. uh, it gets kind of scary sometimes. Um, but did you, know, you go to Africa for like something? Was it, this is just a vacation. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, I, I find, you know, metal everywhere I go. It's kind of a weird thing, especially once I put it out on Instagram, you know, like there's a lot of metalheads in whatever country I'm in who hit me up like, oh shit, you're here. Like, you know, you got to go here and there. And I always love those tips. Um, when I was in Morocco, which was a little weird, I, you know, for me, I wasn't a big fan, to be honest with you. I had a lot of problems out there. Of and yeah. And, uh, but there was some like cool North, people. Northwestern Africa, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the reason I went there is because of Bourdain. He, like, I think one of his specials, he talked about like uh, going to Tangier and it was something like, you know, once I landed, I have never felt so far away from home in my life. And I was like, that's where I need to go. <laughs> uh, and, and I did. And it was, uh, it was, it was kind of the most culturally shocking thing I've ever done in my life, you know, to be there. Uh, Cause I've never been in like a, you know, almost hundred percent Muslim country and just like kind of, it was very, very uh, easy to, to recognize that like I was, you know, the odd man out there and I didn't belong and uh, walking you know, around in your morbid angel shirt. <laughs> yeah, I, of course. Cause I only four shirts. And one shirts. of those. Yeah. <laughs> 
yes totally crosses and pentagrams everywhere it's it was uh you know that that's reality that is very real yeah um but the shirts aside just like you know how they they you know treat women and have you know it doesn't really work with me to be honest with you so um i had some problems out there it was kind of a weird but but then again then there's this like amazing people that you meet through you know just being a solo traveler and stuff like that and i met a couple metalheads along the way that were super sweet and really stoked that i was there um same thing you know in south africa there's actually a giant metal scene um in south africa i don't know if you've ever got to play south africa or like we get emailed like every fucking couple of days like come to south africa we're dying to have you yeah it's it's a small but mighty scene out there man and it's fucking amazing um i've had a couple of friends play over there and you know like johannesburg's a big zone and cape town um but even places like botswana they have these things called the metal cowboys where you know they're like all black gentlemen and dressed up like in full leather like leather hats to leather boots like in everything in between and like they're just all about metal man and and they play in thrash bands and shit like that out there that's pretty awesome. amazing. That's killer. Yeah. So, so yeah. So I, it, for me, it's a, not a vacation. I usually just say travel, you know, cause I think there's a difference between a traveler and a, you know, uh, you know, somebody on vacation or. Right. Um, like tourist. you're not just sitting at a resort. Like you're actually going out and like digging into the whole area. I love getting to know people, you know, which is great. Cause it's what I do for a living as you know, as you're doing here. Um, I love to get to know people and the best way to do that is to be next to them, you know, to, to live amongst them and stay at like, you know, shitty huts sometimes take, oh, wow. take you know, public transit everywhere. That's also the New Yorker in me. I just take public transit everywhere I go for better or worse. Right. And, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've had some pretty amazing and meaningful experiences that way. Dude, I think that's so awesome. You know, like I meet so many people who never travel and, my like my wife and I like we'll go you know we go to Mexico or sometimes we've gone to you know other we went to Fiji before literally we don't even book a hotel room like we don't book anything we literally just land and check the landscape and go okay like what looks like a good area <laughs> like or what looks like a not dangerous area sometimes you know right. like the least dangerous area of that and we'll just fucking go and you know we'll find like a killer place and like it'll be in downtown and then you just ask people like where's the spot you know we'll pick a city like okay this seems like a cool city to go to but not make any plans past that dude sometimes that's like the most amazing thing that you know just go with the flow and yeah. meet people and then before you know it you're you know in some wild party and and you know living life and that's what it's about right yeah kind of getting a sense of how they live somewhere else yeah for sure um, but yeah i'm also like i'm obsessed with travel though you know to be honest with you and i made a life out of it you know i don't uh i don't know if you know this but i'm a, a digital nomad now for the past almost year now what's that so I, I don't have an address. I don't have an apartment anymore. I don't have a house. I gave up every material possession. Oh, and wow. Last March, um, I went home back to New York and I just kind of just, I don't know, I got really depressed and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't like to be bound by a lease or, or material possessions or anything like that. So uh, I donated everything that I own, sands, you know, computer, camera, lights, drum set, guitars, t-shirts, <laughs> you know, 
the necessities. And other than that, I don't own anything else. And um, I just live out of a suitcase and I just go to, you know, Africa for six weeks and then I'll live in Texas for a month or in California now for right. half a right. year. You Are know? you in a hotel like doing this? No, yeah. like right now I'm, I'm in LA. I'm in uh, an Airbnb for several months. Okay. Okay. So Which you is great. Like, Airbnb right. changed the game, man. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. You, so you get an Airbnb and you can rent that out for like a month, save hell of money as com- compared to a hotel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you get the, like the real experience of, of living in a place and what it would be like, you know, I mean, you yeah. are essentially living in somebody's shoes and somebody's space, you know, that's wild. That's fucking, that's fucking crazy, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I send my, my mail, anybody needs to mail me. I'm like, don't, but if you really, if you need to, you can send it to my mom, you know? Gotcha. Or you make, I guess you could get a PO box or something that you pay for somewhere. Even if I did, I'd have to go back and check it. What once a year? I know, right? Like, and who the fuck uses? You know, sometimes I get mail. I'm like, why do I? I don't want any of this mail. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, even checks, like, like literally anything and everything you could think of could be digitalized. You know, so. Right. Right. Yeah. The only time I feel like I need to be somewhere, um, you know, if I have even work, like because of Zoom. And the pandemic and everything, it just made it more accessible to talk to artists through this, which totally. now I don't need to physically be at a festival, which I honestly thought was a terrible idea to begin with. It's one of those situations you come out of the quarantine, you're like, why are we doing this in the first place? You know, like yeah. it's a terrible place to do an interview it's backstage or at a festival. It's <laughs> fucking loud. They've got 15 minutes tops. Like it's, yeah. you know. Yeah, you're probably waiting around. You know, I haven't done them that many times at festivals, but you know, I know I've made people have to wait a half an hour sometimes just because some bullshit was going on or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and I I understand that. You know, I'm an artist too, and I understand like you know you got shit to do. You got fucking load in and you know uh, sound checks and things to do. You're a person too, and I feel like I'm invading an artist space sometimes, you know, cause they're sharing it with five or six other members and plus crew and shit. Right. So it just doesn't make sense. And I think the way that we're doing it now is just way more susceptible to having real conversations and it's just a more comfortable and better climate to do it, you know? Right. I dude, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, like I, I mean, I'm, I haven't been doing this as long as you have as a podcaster I'm coming up. I just had my two year anniversary but you know, this before the pandemic. And so I'd have to go to a show and like talk to somebody and I'd get half an hour and it'd be like, while another band was sound checking and you know, it was, it was good. You know, like it was, it was fine. And, and that's all I knew at the time. And so that's all I had ever done in my history as well. So, uh, but when the pandemic hit, it was like, it was just great because all of a sudden you can do a zoom and then fucking everybody's bored out of their goddamn minds. So they're just like, I'm down to talk for an hour and a half. Sure. I was like, all right, let's do it. Exactly. Yeah. And like that's when my podcast started doing good because then like, then it could be a real interview and go 20 million fucking places rather than just whatever, you know, the half an hour or 30 minutes that we could squeeze in. You know, I found the same thing too. When I was doing a lot of interviews during the pandemic, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking about it like it doesn't exist, but of course it's still here. Right. Um, you know, but in the height of quarantine and stuff, it was, you, you, I think it was a universal thing. It's just like people were just aching to talk to each other, you know, and, um, and really everybody was feeling things and going through things. So people were just willing to open up and, 
Um, I, I, you know, there's a couple of items I think we benefited from through this quarantine. And that's certainly one of them, you know, like we're way more acceptable or, you know, willing to talk about, you know, real, real things in our lives and also communicate regularly through something like this, through zoom and, and the internet. Did, uh, this, this desire to become a digital nomad and, you know, go vegan. Is this all like a result of the pandemic? No, I've been vegan for a long time. Um, I actually been vegetarian since I was 14 years old. Oh, wow. And then turned vegan about seven years ago. Um, and yeah, it has nothing to do with pandemic or anything. That was just more of a personal trajectory that I've always had in my life. Um, I, you know, to be honest with you, actually, as a young kid, growing up listening to like carcass and napalm death that's what it was like that that uh woke me up to you know vegetarianism in the first place um and reading their lyrics and their interviews and like rip magazine and stuff like that you know um this is like going back early 90s and stuff and that's the first time i ever heard of those you know what is vegetarianism and then i think barney actually talked about a specific book and i wound up looking it up and learning about, uh, factory farming and, and the realities behind it. And that just made me feel awful and to, to kind of explore what, where food comes from and stuff like that. And I think it was pretty easy for me, you know, any, I'm the kind of person I'm, I could be very, my willpower is really strong. So like anytime somebody's like, that's going to kill you, be like, well, that's the last time I did that, you know? <laughs> um, and it was pretty much flip of a switch. Uh, same thing with me going from vegetarian into veganism. It was literally just one day. And it was, it was actually because my, my dad, um, he got news that he needed a, this is going back, like I said, like seven years ago. Um, like he needed a quadruple bypass surgery and it was really unexpected and kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. But, you know, I just looked at what he ate and, and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to be that. Like, now that I, because it's some of that shit is genetic, you know what I mean? And, and I just right. didn't want to be part of that. Um, so yeah, that was the day when he got that news. I went home, I threw, I, I was almost there anyway, you know, like I think like cheese, that was my weakness, you know, like I was a New York kid, you know, like pizza, pizza, pizza. Um, but I gave up the cheese and that was it. After that, it was just full vegan. There's a lot of great vegan cheese out there now. Now, yeah, more than ever, it's easier. It's crazy. Like, it's insane. Yeah, and and here, I love coming to LA and living here for a while because it is the mecca of vegan eating, for sure. Yeah. Um, Of all my travels around the world, I can say LA is where I gain weight. (laughs) Right, right. Because everything's in vegan cheese sauce. It's just great. And and you have every type of cuisine imaginable. Uh, veganized you know like in new york i as much as i love new york and think it's the greatest city you know we do certain things really great with the vegan scene but um you know like obviously there's some italian places asian seems to be the dominant thing there you know but here like literally you know anything you can think of like fine dining to you know shitty cheap places and hot dogs and vendors and sandwiches and burger, like everything is here. And so I, I feel like it, I'm just really, uh, it's like option paralysis here, you know, uh, anything I could dream of can be veganized here, which is great. 
Yeah, I did. Uh, I was. I went vegan for. I've gone vegan a few times in my life, and uh, I was vegan right at the beginning of catharsis. I was sober and vegan, sober for thirteen months and vegan. And I, wow. I did pretty good on the vegan thing for uh, for like while I was home, but when I went on tour, I found it really hard, and my body doesn't process beans very well and like when you talk about the asian thing like it was just asian it was just like noodles and tofu like that was it and like that's all you know certainly once we got into like you know st louis and oklahoma and places like that like it just was like and and it wasn't so much that i had a problem like with the flavor like i could eat it and like i was like whatever this is fine i didn't feel like i was getting enough protein but fuck dude like i just i never fart on stage like I never fart. Like I don't know why I probably should fart on stage, but I never fart on stage. Right. And I'm on the road now, and it's just tofu every fucking meal. And I'm on stage like singing and just these ass ripping, like excruciatingly painful farts are just like fuck. Like what the fuck was that? You know, like check. I'm like checking my pants in between songs, which I'm like, Jesus, what the fuck is this? Like, I literally, I just like, I can't, I can't fucking do this. Like, I can't. I don't know what. I wish I could. You know, everybody's like, just stick with it. Like, in one more month, and your body will adapt. And like, my body just never adapted. Right, right. That's when the crowd's like, man, Rob has these gutturals down these days. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was seriously like, I felt like I was getting a hemorrhoid every time I was farting on stage. I was like, all right, this is enough. And, uh, but I still, I still do eat vegan food. I'll eat eat a vegan breakfast every single day. Like I have a vegan kind of, it's like banana and, you know, this protein powder and, and I dig it. I fucking, I love it. And I, and I back it. I back anybody who wants to go down that route and, you know, connects with it. You know, it's what works for me. And I always say that, like, I'm, I am not, uh, one of those preachers by any means, you know, like this is, um, and I always put that out there on my Instagram and stuff like that. It's, it's just like, this is what works for me. Uh, if anybody has questions or wants to talk about it, awesome. But I am the last person to be that preachy vegan. And, you know, I've, uh, uh, dated people, uh, girls who eat meat. I've, you know, uh, have friends who, uh, eat meat, obviously. And, you know, I've, I've actually gone to steakhouses in Texas and stuff. I've been dragged to them, I should say, you know, uh, it's not my scene, but, uh, you know, I have been there and haven't said anything, you know, I'm just not that type of person to, to tell others what to do or whatnot. Yeah, you'll, you'll hang. Yeah. 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 I'm always for the hang. Yeah. Right. Right. That's yeah. cool. Tell me about, um, big metal news. <laughs> I mean, that's some big metal news that just went down with Metal Injection and Metal Sucks. And uh, in in many ways, one of the reasons I wanted to get you on here, because I just think it's like such the beginning of a new era and kind of the end of an, the end of one era and the beginning of another era. And, you know, I was talking to my I was talking to my engineer, Zach, about it. And I was like, he's like, I don't know. He's like something about, you know, he hadn't heard about it. And I was just telling him about it. And uh he was like, I don't know, man. Like, it just seems like metal's like just got one notch, you know, bigger because of something like this, you yeah. know, that like that you guys, you know, for just so everybody's clear, like metal sucks and, and metal injection have uh, been taken over by the orchard. They're distributing you guys. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but Ben, Vince, or uh, Vince, Axel, and Rob, your partner of a long time since the beginning, have now moved on, and you're overseeing all this stuff, and now you've got kind of the power of, you know, Sony behind your, you're overseeing both 
yep. uh, sites now. Yep. Am I getting this right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all right. Um, yeah, so so I went from um, running one brand to both, um, and all my partners did leave. Uh, collectively, we we owned an ad network, the four of us, called Blastbeat Network, um, which I'm still working with that. They, they've acquired that as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a big step. Uh, it's pretty amazing. It's been a long time in the making, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we collectively, I mean, so I've owned Metal Injection for 18 years. Metal Sucks, wow. I believe, was uh, 15 years old. And it's been a long time, man. <laughs> for the last five years, I would say my partners have all been kind of discussing like what's next, moving on, stuff like that, you know. Um, each like one by one, each of them have kind of like come to me with that. And I was always the last one. I was always like, I don't, I don't want to get rid of it. I don't want to sell it. I don't, I want to be part of it, man. Like, you know, I have the best job in the world. I talked like my friends are my heroes, my heroes are my friends. And I get to talk to them, hang out with them and do cool stuff with them all the time. But it also comes from really how we started. Like I was always you know, like the metalhead, you know, and the guy in bands and, you know, like long, long before all this shit, like I was doing this, you know, I was part of the metal scene since I was really like 10 years old, you know, and, and here I am 40 and it still hasn't changed, you know? Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a big step for the companies. It's a big step for me personally. Um, and what I, I think, you know, it's despite all that, like really my day to day and stuff, it hasn't changed too much. You know I mean? Like there's, it's amazing because they definitely take away a lot of stuff that I didn't want to do. So now I can like hand off, you know, a lot of admin stuff, um, you know, that, you know, the, the less glamorous shit that comes with owning a company and that especially big companies that like metal injection metal sucks. It's pretty amazing how much we've managed to get done on such a small staff, you know? Right. And now that the staff has just grown, it's just like makes it the power behind it, um, you know, that much easier to, to manage to do things and allows me to kind of focus on those big ticket items instead of a lot of the minutia of, you know, accounting and payroll and all these right, other right. little things, you know? Yeah. And that is, is, so those guys, those guys are no longer a part of it in any way. No. Well, I mean, this is still a transitional period, but now it's been like a month or so. And, uh, I think they've definitely been able to relax. I mean, like Rob, for instance, went to Mexico right away. <laughs> I'm, know, I'm on vacation. Yeah. Basically he, he checked out, went to Mexico. Uh, the other guys, I mean, uh, Vince, he's, uh, you know, a dad, so he has a lot of dad duties going on and Matt's, uh, you know, I don't, to be honest with that, he's always, a you know, the wild card. I'd never really know what he was doing. So, uh, maybe watching movies. He's a huge movie guy. So, okay. yeah. Um, no, I don't know what they'll do next. Um, seems like they want to take a bit of a break, which is fine. I, I kind of really ambitious of a dude. So I jumped two feet first, you know, from, from being super busy to being crazy busy. <laughs> right. Right. And being uh, a digital nomad, which is even crazy. You know, like it makes, it yeah. seems like it makes it crazier, but you know, maybe it doesn't, you know, maybe it makes it easier. You know, I think it makes my life a lot easier to be honest with you. I, it's so liberating to like, not have to worry about me, like, or my shit, you know what I mean? Like, cause I don't have anything. It's like how many people, you know, like I don't even have a car, 
So I don't have to worry about where I park it or anything like that. I mean, right. you know, you got motorcycles. Uber, Uber or walk or public transportation. Or motorcycles. You know, yeah, those okay. are easy to tuck away in different places. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So I got a couple of motorcycles laying around the US. All right. All right. You got one in LA? I do, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you still got you still got a you have a vehicle. You need to get gas and shit like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, but it's just so much easier to manage than a car. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild, man. I mean, congratulations. That's, you. you know, first and foremost, congratulations. That's a big fucking, it's a big chunk of responsibility that just got thrown onto your shoulders, man. You know, yes. and it's exciting. It's fucking really exciting. You know, like I got to imagine you're just fucking, you know, your dreams for, you know, what can happen with the sites and everything. Oh, you better believe it, man. Like I, so as many amazing things I've got to do with metal injection in the past. Um, just knowing that like I have, you know, the orchard and Sony behind everything that I'm doing, it just, you know, that that's an amazing feeling. And um, there is yet to be one time where I just like shot at the clouds and they were like taken back by it. They're like, Oh yeah, totally. We, we, you should do that. Yeah. Well, let's, let's do it. Let's figure out how to do it. So we're still like in the very early stages of everything. Um, and trust me, I come with a lot of ideas, always have, you know, if I always felt that there was a forte, my forte, it's, it's always been like being the idea guy, you know? So now I got to really expand on that. And I'm really excited, like you said, uh, to do a lot of these things that we couldn't afford or didn't have the means to do before. So, um, yeah, all I could say is, you know, I'm not a person who ever like talks about what I'm going to do. I'd rather just do it and then let the world see it, you know? I feel like there's too many people who do that in the world. I don't know about you if you feel the same way, but like everybody loves to talk about what they're going to do. I'd rather just fucking do it. And then here it is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, my, in my experience, I've said, I'm going to do this a million times. And then <laughs> my life just went some totally different way. Like, no, you're not, that's not at all what you're going to do. You're going to go this way. And like, at this point I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll just let it go where it takes me. Cause that's kind of all you can do really. Exactly. Yeah. I'd rather just, uh, be conscious of that and never make promises that I can't keep, you know? And, uh, and I'm glad to say, you know, in 18 years of, of metal injection, there's, I, I could think of like maybe one or two things that I started out to do that I didn't get to do, you know, just cause like you said, like life goes a certain way, but otherwise like I'm incredibly ambitious. And once I start a project, whatever it is, no matter how small or big, like I'm all in, you know? And, uh, and this is, to the way I see it, you know, uh, just another step, another evolutionary step and, and, you know, me doing that. Um, I think sometimes too, like that's, you know, like I, I, I'm not going to necessarily relate it to my life because your life and my life are different, but you know, I think that you do have to have a, a certain kind of, uh, like, uh, you can't have a backup plan. You know, do you know what I mean when I say that? Like, you can't have a plan B. Like, sometimes you just got to fucking go for it so hard that you you force it to work. <laughs> because if you yeah. make your, it, I at least how I felt sometimes is that if you make a backup plan, it's like you always know you've got this out. Mm -hmm. you know, like, that you can always go, well, I can always do this. Or I can always do that. Like, you know, when I was starting this band it was like this is what this is it <laughs> like i'm i'm pathetically unqualified to do anything else so this is it <laughs> right well I, i'm sure that's not true you make one hell of a host so uh, that, <laughs> that was probably uh, learned along the way though you know like i think that i got 
maybe better at that just because I went in at that point and then, you know, 25 years later when I start a fucking podcast and then it's like, you know, you learn how to talk with people better. Well, for sure. And I couldn't, I couldn't have done this. I couldn't have been on a podcast when I first started Machine Head. Like I just, it would have been horrible. It would have been the worst thing ever. Dude, <laughs> it I, been horrible. <laughs> I, I think that's, that's yes. I mean, absolutely. Um, and that's everyone really, you know, uh, it's all trial and error first of all. And that's like everything in life, really, you know, like you can't expect anybody to just be thrown into something and, and they know exactly what they're doing. You learn and you make mistakes and you get better at it over time. Um, the other thing is, you know, the time in your life makes sense. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the Rob that you are today is not the Rob you were 20 years ago. And, you know, at that time, in that moment, it maybe it just didn't make sense, you know, for you to do maybe internally, you had some kind of struggle where you couldn't be like, you were comfortable being the front man in a band, but not being, you know, uh, the person on camera with a microphone and, and have to carry a conversation. It's a whole other energy. You know what I mean? At least I, I feel that way. I'm not a front man. I'm a drummer, but like, you know, it's, there's a different energy to it. I think, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, I wouldn't get down on yourself or anything. I mean, you're doing it at the right time at the right speed in your life. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, but even going back to like the beginnings of, of metal injection, really, you know, like there was a reason that I was way more timid too uh, to start it off. You know, I didn't know that I was qualified to do it. Like I was a metal head. I was working in business. Um, but what the fuck did I know about running a TV show and, or a website, you know, it was just brand new. I mean, we started metal injection before YouTube existed, you know, before that's a long time ago, man. Yeah. What do you, what are you hosted on at this point? I mean, you're just hosted on a website like GeoCities or something. I guess it's not that far back, but, uh, well, I mean, it was, uh, yes, yeah, we, yes, it was actually that far back. Uh, it was, we had GeoCities way back in the day. Um, um, yeah, we, we use flash servers. We had archives. Just a blog? Does it just start off as a blog? Uh, actually it started off as a TV show. So oh, the story, yeah. okay. Yeah. The story of Wayne's world is always, I would say it's like my story, you know? So I, <laughs> I just got together with some friends, uh, made a silly television show. And I used to be a VHS tape trader way back in the day okay. in the nineties. So I had like all these VHS tapes of every music video and, and every live fucking set from every corner of the earth That's awesome. and i would just like splice in like you know one or two uh songs or from a live set or a music video between some silly banter and then i would call that the metal injection show basically hand it in to brooklyn cable access television and it would run <laughs> you know friday nights and um at like three in the morning you know right right and then I we'd hand we'd stand outside shows because it was really the only way I knew how to market anything because being in bands right you just stand outside Lemoore's and you hand out flyers watch my TV show you know, <laughs> and then that's when um you know like Roadrunner really was like one of the first labels uh, Amy and and George and you know Monty all these people like mm -hmm. really gave it the time of day way back then and and uh, started giving us interviews with bands and stuff like that and that's how like that. You know, we started doing interviews and whatnot. Um, and then that's that was actually in 2003. So that's even longer. It's like going on my 19 years. And uh, from there, January 1st, 2004 is when we launched the website version of Mental Injection. And all it really was was a platform 
to host our TV show, you know, and that's how it started. And then from there, it started picking up like, oh, let's do some news bits because it'd be faster that way. Because, you know, Blabbermouth was around and even that was still fairly new then. And you are looking at what they were doing and and the hits that they were getting be like, oh, well, you know, we can kind of like do some of this, you know, we can't do it to the same degree of like copy paste and everything that they were doing. But, you know, we could put some news out there, we can have some reviews and, you know, but it's, it's gone through so many iterations over 18 years, you know, mm-hmm. and here we are. It's it, it, what you see today is what's is, the first interview you get for metal injection. Uh, do, do you know this band called, uh, 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 fuck, I can't think of it. Uh, <laughs> wow. This is going to haunt me right now. I should know this. Uh, is it a, I can is think it a roadrunner band. No, no, no. It's actually, uh, I could look it up right now. The guitar player is Chris Arp. Uh, why can't, uh, Psyopus, duh. Yeah. Psyopus was the first one we ever had. And then, uh, fuck, I want to say first, you and Rob, you and Rob interview him. Yeah. And I want to say the big, the first big band was probably Slipknot, but they were they holy were, shit. <laughs> but they were also like fairly newish back then, you know. So, um, two thousand three, yeah. So I mean, like you know, they had Iowa out and stuff. And, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. they're multi platinum at that point. That's big. They're big right, band. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, they're they were a big band, but they were still like if we consider like zoom out in the trajectory of like what their career is today, like, right? Right. Still, they're probably still playing smaller venues, smaller ish. Yeah. Yeah, so like I watched them on that tour play uh, Limelight in New York, you know. Um, but I, I I was really into early Slipknot. Uh, yeah, early Slipknot was fucking the shit. And it was really weird. I have a weird story about that. So I remember being on the first headlining show they ever had in New York City, and Roadrunner Records was all there, and I was on waiting online with the guys from Suffocation and Mortician and like all these like crazy extreme death metal bands. Yeah, yeah. And I remember Will Raymer of Mortician, of all the dudes in the world who could say this, like, I thought he would be like, well, fuck Slipknot. He was so accepting of it. He was like, man, this band is what's going to open the doors for death metal around the world. And I just thought that was an amazing thing to have that foresight looking back, you know? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's wild to be here 18 years later and thinking about a lot of the bands that we grew up with and helped. And I mean, like, we started the same time as the Black Dahlia murder, for instance. Right. You know, so like watching their career and where we are, it's it's like I always consider them peers and parallel, you know, because we came up together. And there's also a lot of bands that went away, you know, the the red cord, for instance, like they're they just made a really big news thing that the they're coming back to do the decibel show, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. I miss those guys, but yeah, the- Gunface and the bass player are two of the funniest people I've ever hung out with in my life. Yeah, like totally. Like I'm crying and my cheeks are hurting because they're about to cramp because I'm laughing so fucking hard. Like Same. those dudes fucking rule. I love those dudes. Same. Yeah. Greg Weeks. We actually gave Greg, him, yeah, we gave him his own column on metal injection way back in the day. It was called ask me. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's so fitting man we Uh, actually the the fucking the my fondest memory of those two is uh we sat there in the back of my bus one day and i was i 
wasn't drinking for some reason, even though I drank all the time back then, but I was just like, I need to stay sober. Something I had to do something. So, um, but they came on the bus and they're just like, my, my, my buddy Tom was with me and he's just like, dude, you know what we need to do? And I was just like, what? He's just like, we need to listen to the fieldy solo album. <laughs> and I was just like, why, why would we want to do that? You know, like I'd already seen the video and shit. I was just like, he's, they're like, come on, these fucking rhymes are the best rhymes you're ever going to hear. And so he sat there and these two fucking, I'm talking every single song on the fieldy solo record they know every word and they can just they like literally act it out and like fucking, you know they're like take a shit in the bag light it on fire you open the door there's a bag on fire like that's the rhyme <laughs> like the rhyme fire with fire we were like <laughs> they're, I mean, they're doing like a skit to this whole thing i swear to god i can remember it like it was yesterday it was the fun one of the funniest fucking nights of my life like i'll that memory will stick with me forever like those two dudes are the best you know and it translated on stage too um like i remember i always bring this up whenever i see them but they they did this one amazing set i think it was like the new england metal fest maybe um where uh you know the singer he would just go on stage and after every i think he even started the set he's like this is your last chance to dance <laughs> every time he said it it just got funnier and funnier because people would just like go off like crazy like it was the last song and then they would right. just go into three more songs and then you know <laughs> over and over again uh but they would always do that kind of shit like and and they just seemed to have like a never-ending supply of jokes you know right. and and everybody guy else here right guy guy yeah 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 and everybody else was the butt of the joke and you were just there to to be and happy to be part of it you know right Totally. Yeah, that, that was some big news. That You said that was one of your earlier interviews? That was another band, yeah. Um, oh, no, you were saying that they, they were like your peers. They started around the same time as you guys. Yeah, there were there's so many of them. Macedon and, you know, like I remember coming up with a lot of different, even like, you know, proto metal injection stuff. Like we were, I was still in the scene, you know, with working or, or hanging out with people. Like, I mean, I've known the Dillinger guys since fucking time began and you know, the Meshuga dudes and stuff like that. Like I was always part of the scene, um, you know, be it just being yeah, around you were, a, you were in a band though, like playing in bands with these guys. Uh, I mean, well, like, uh, opening slots and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was in several hardcore bands. Um, I mean, I still play, you know, oh, totally. uh, yeah, you fucking, your slay at home thing is crazy. It's fucking awesome. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and a lot of that goes back to knowing a lot of these dudes, like the Candiria guys I've known fucking forever. And, you know, um, it's, it's Slay at Home was an amazing thing because I really just got to like, you know, sort of play with a lot of my friends that like, I just never really got around to, to jamming with before, you know? So for the metal injection, uh, 15 year anniversary party, I threw this thing at St. Vitus um, where it was just a collective jam, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, uh, metal allegiance style type thing, you know, and I had Alex from Testament is, you know, there and, and, uh, guys in Dillinger typo, you name it. And it was just an incredible thing to like, after knowing these guys for, you know, 20 years or whatever, like to be up there on stage jamming with them and, and that was right before, you know, maybe a year or so before uh, the pandemic. And then once the pandemic came around, it's just like, well, shit, let's just keep that going, you know, <laughs> right? Just keep jamming. And what else are we doing, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so you did a lot of Slayer songs on that, man. I was like, man, this motherfucker's got his chops. 
<laughs> uh, well, you know, Slayer is one of those bands that like I started with and, and, you know, you always go back to like the beginning, you know, when you play yep. and, and Dave Lombardo is the re you know, like I always say like Lars is the reason that I play drums, but Dave Lombardo made me want to fucking play drums, right. you know? So Dave, yeah. Lombardo, he is, uh, like forever. Like I, I just owe it to him, you know, for I think playing. I saw you covered postmortem, right? Yep. Yeah, I was fuck. That was I was that, I was watching that. I was like, all right, I want to see this motherfucker. You know, you can't fuck up post mortem. <laughs> like, I was like, you better deliver here, Frank. Yeah, and you did. I was like, fuck, man, all those little fucking. You know, there's a lot of little details in that song that are fucking. Diff- they make it a challenging song on drums. You know, cool hey. little, you know, just like quick little trippy fills. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, it means a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's, uh, I never stopped drumming the entire time. You know, I started as a drummer. Um, and then really that's what I wanted to do in life. And it's kind of weird how like you set out to do one thing and then something, you know, success happened somewhere else. Um, but you know, I still drum, like I got to play in some of my favorite bands doing cool things. I, I actually, uh, so the new typo, uh, project they have going on silver tomb i get to fill in for johnny sometimes on that so getting to play with kenny and just like fuck around on typo stuff has been amazing and um a few years ago i was in a band called enabler and that i just adored that band so i felt like the luckiest guy in the world to play to that um you know and i don't know what's next like i don't have a set band right now or anything but i'm kind of always looking around you know and see what's what out was there. the um what was the name of your early bands the hardcore bands uh, so way back in the nineties, it was force fed, which became full blown chaos. Oh, okay. And then, um, and after that, there was a couple of others that never really did much. Like there's one called transcend and we did like a short tour opening for cannibal corpse when corpse grinder was like the new vocalist. So, oh, shit. Wow. um, yeah, I wound up meeting him really early on and, um, what else? I never stopped. I just kept on going. And then like whoever would have me, I was in a punk band called inept value. Um, a lot of shitty bands, <laughs> but then That's... I was in a band called Mika's murder, um, for like 10 years with, uh, one of the red cord Mika's, Mika's murder Meek M E E K. Okay. Yeah. So, so that was an amazing run. Um, so Keller who was in the red cord, the other guitar player who's not Gunface. Okay. Uh, he wound up leaving the band and we started up Mika's murder and uh, just making records. And Kurt Ballou was really interested in being our producer. So he's produced everything we've ever done. And that was a really good run. That was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And we ultimately stopped because the Keller, the guy that I'm talking about, he was a uh, singer, songwriter, guitar player all in one um he had to pick up and leave he wound up getting a, a an amazing job at apple <laughs> just like, like yep i need to make money yeah so <laughs> it was like yeah no real life comes first i get it you know <laughs> that's a lot that's a lot to be doing though like between all of your other st- i mean you that's like having two full-time jobs practically you know in a lot of way yeah i guess that's why i'm going into this new endeavor i'm, I'm ready for it and it's not you know, phasing me, I guess the way that some people might think it is. I think the hardest thing about this new job, it's kind of weird calling it a new job. It's like, I'm just doing what I do, but times two now. Yeah. Um, the hardest part is just like dividing my brain 
and being like, oh, well, this will work for metal socks. This will work for metal injection. And, um, you know, but ultimately it's, you know, I kind of have a, a lot of ideas so it works, you know, I can, I can flex those muscles and, and do those two things. Take me back to, uh, to young Frank Godla <laughs> growing up. Do you grow up, do you grow up in New York city area? I did. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I grew up in, in Brooklyn. I, I, I guess I was, I'm a lifelong New Yorker. You have uh, no Brooklyn accent to I, everybody I know from Brooklyn. Like, yo, 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 top of the food chain, Brooklyn. Like you have zero fucking accent. Yeah. I take pride in that, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it comes out, you know, usually when I'm drunk and, or uh, there's a couple of friends who make fun of me about like, for instance, you know, that thing that you have your socks in that you pull out. You know, I call it a draw. I don't know what oh, you right, call it. Right. The draw. <laughs> Drawer. Yeah, you know. Whatever, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of those words, but for the most part, no. Um, I, I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. I never really understood, like, accents, but I think it's more of, like, a neighborhoody or hood thing. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I was just a nerd, a total fucking nerd. So all, I would just, like, you know, read nonstop and I was always like you know at the top of of every percentile in school and whatnot and I was a massive hermit man <laughs> that's why metal really connected to me because it, it allowed me to get it a window into a world that wasn't completely lonely you know because all I did was just fucking read books and was by you, myself you didn't do sports or anything I still to this day don't know the rules of any sport which is crazy <laughs> I've just never been my thing man you know, yeah. you I never you been. Know, you, you never been caught wearing a Yankees hat or a. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Don't know anything about the Yankees other than their logo. That's literally it. Are your parents like musical in any way? Are your like is there music around your house a lot as you're growing up? So my, I it's you know my my dad passed away um, last a year and a half ago now, and that was the biggest blow of my entire life. Um, because he really was the, uh, you know, the influence of, of everything that I do, you know? So he wasn't a drummer himself, but he wanted to play drums his whole life as a kid and he never got the opportunity. So he basically pushed me into doing it and oh, wow. he, he was a metalhead. Uh, so naturally, oh, wow. oh, he was a full blown metalhead. So like he naturally took me to show my first show ever. I was nine years old. I got to see guns and roses. Holy shit. Know? And then immediately <laughs> after that, and then I saw Metallica and my third show was merciful fate at a club. Wow. Oh my God. Like a fucking, he's like an underground metal dude. Yeah. I mean, he was, wow. that's he, crazy. Me yeah. and him would throw each other like new albums all the time, like growing up. And because uh, I remember, I don't know if you're familiar with WSOU. That was yeah. our, yeah, totally. that was kind of our local radio station, our metal radio station at the time, which is uh, Pirate Radio. It's a, a college yeah. radio station. Yeah, fuck yeah. I've been on there a bunch of times. It's a great show. The great, I, the whole format's amazing with, and what they do. Um, but that was huge uh, in, in, in instrumental and in really learning about a lot of young up and coming bands at the time, you know? And like, for instance, I wound up bringing Fear Factory to my dad and, and Machine Head to my dad. And it was just like, Crazy. you know, I was just like, dude, like, listen to this. And, and he was like, yeah, it's fucking tight. So, you know, like, for instance, we've seen Machine Head endless times in your first several, several tours. Oh, and wow, that's fucking wild. You and your dad coming to the show, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I've we, never heard this story. So this is fucking cool. 
<laughs> yeah, we we uh, dude, I'm actually in one of your music videos, which is weird. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was off the um, the Burning Red, the one that you did inside the, oh, the from this day video. Yeah. Oh, so shit. Tommy he, Vex and Frank from <laughs> Metal Injection. I knew Tommy Vex was, yeah. So he's the reason I'm in it. I've known Tommy since I was 13 or okay. since he was 13 and I was like 14 or something like that. Okay. Um, but he wound up calling me and he's just like, yo, bro, we got to go do this thing tomorrow. I was just like, well, fuck, I yeah, that's it. I never heard this story at all. Like, Yeah. So it's, You've never it, told me this story at all. Like, I haven't, no. Yeah. Uh, but. But I still think about it all you're the just time. Like, you're just like one of the people banging and dancing or whatever, whatever anybody was doing. Yeah. 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 It's, it's kind of funny too, because like there was a lot of like, um, you know, actors and actresses or whatever. And then there's just these two Brooklyn douchebags, me and Tommy, who just showed up to this thing and like out of nowhere and, and got to be in it. Um, but yeah, I think we invited uh, a handful of fans down. We were just like, we got to have, like, it was just, the treatment was super weird. We were using, like, the Master P, the guy who did all the Master P videos. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, this is, and the president, I don't know if you remember, but the president of Roadrunner was there, and he was like, the pressure was on. Like, this is what we're doing, and this is what we got to do. I don't, do you remember him? He was there. Jonas was there. So no. He was like, he was, like, there at the video, like, fucking, you know, because we were kind of like, I don't know about this, man. And he's just like, no, it's going to be great. You know, this guy's got 100%. MTV success or whatever the fuck it was, was you know, we're like, all right, <laughs> whatever you say, you're there. <laughs> right. Well, well, how do you feel yeah. about the video today? I look like a giant orange juice box. <laughs> like, I'm just like, but you know, awesome. to me, it's like the video is just so 90s, you know what I mean? Like, it's just the apex of fucking late 90s, you know, video yeah. stupidity, you know what I mean? Like, it's just whatever great it's a great song and so to me the song has stood the test of time but the the video makes me laugh and i can laugh at the video now I, yeah I, I love that you can do that i mean i had a great time uh and it was a memorable experience i still think about it today uh not just because like the fact that i'm like oh well yeah i was in a machine video which is weird to say but um it was also the only time ever that I got to go inside the brooklyn bridge and the brooklyn bridge to me is is huge like i i think it's like you know if you go back to American history, it's really where a lot of things changed. There's the creation of the Brooklyn Bridge and such an, a staple of the skyline of New York City. And I'm a huge nerd for New York City history. Um, me and Monty Connor talk about that all the time, by the way. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it, the, that bridge specifically is one of my favorite things in the world. And to be to be inside of it because of you is, is a giant honor, you know? Uh, and, and also it's super off limits. Um, especially after nine 11, like they shut that shit down and no one's ever allowed in again. Oh, wow. Okay. So that. yeah. So it's, I always thought it was cool. I always thought that was the best part of the video. Like all of the inside the Brooklyn bridge shots were the coolest ones to me. Yeah. You know, cause oh, the rest it, of it was like us on a stage, like on the side of the Brooklyn bridge or something like you, it just looked like we were on the side of a building. I was like, what is this shot? This is the dumbest shot. Like at least show the fucking Brooklyn bridge. You know? Right. Yeah, totally. Um, but I, so the entire day was amazing. Cause even back then I was just like a little nerd about, you know, the bridge. So I was just like, Oh my God, it's, it's wicked to be in here. You know, so young too, man. Like, that's just crazy that you were like, you know, I don't even know if I could have done, I don't even know if someone would have asked me to be in a video when I was 14, I'm like, no, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's just yeah. crazy. Seriously. Uh, but you know, a, you kind of just, I think I've made a life out of that. Just say yes, just say yes to things, to experiences and see where it goes, you know? Yeah. Um, I didn't become an actor, 
Now I'm gonna right. now I gotta go watch that video again and look. Is, is there like actually scenes of you? Like you can tell it's you. Uh, I mean, I never sat there and watched it frame by frame, but I don't, I don't. I, I mean, don't. you must have watched it and seen yourself in there. Um, no? I never really looked for myself, to be honest okay. with you. There's definitely a girl I went to school with in high school that's in it. I I've seen many times. Okay, pops up. Um, but yeah, you maybe maybe you can. I don't know. Also, I, I probably wouldn't want to find myself. <laughs> you ever like look at old photos of yourself and just like, ugh, okay, I don't want to see that. <laughs> or look at old videos of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fucking awesome though. No, so that's so that's young. Dad, but you're talking about your dad. So your dad gets you into metal. That's fucking incredible. Like I can't believe that your third show was Merciful Fate. That's oh, dude, it's, it goes sick. on and on. I mean, like, I mean, what a sick introduction to metal. I mean, like yeah, but when I was when I was 14, he actually gave me um, a fake ID because he was just like, all right, like he can tell that I was really into it. And at the time, I think you needed to be 18 to get into a lot of the venues in New York. Uh, so give me a fake ID just so I can kind of go on my own, uh, you know, because he didn't want me to stop, but he also had a job to do, you know, and all that. It, it's, it's really weird to think like back on my life too, because I was super poor, you know, uh, especially growing up in the 80s and 90s in New York. I was just became, you know, from very, very humble beginnings, poor family and stuff. And New York was fucked, you know, like it was just not what it is today. Um, a lot of burnt down buildings everywhere you go, especially in the Lower East Side and stuff where I used to hang around where my dad used to work. It was just really dangerous. And um, so thinking back, like, you know, growing up in New York. Yeah, the Lower East Side was fucking rough back then. Yeah. It wasn't the, uh, what's the place that took over CBGB's now? <laughs> like the uh, designer guy. John Varvatos? Is that yeah, it? Yeah, there's no John Varvatos <laughs> yeah. on, on those blocks. You know what's interesting is a lot of people get down on Varvatos for opening that store. And I always remi remind them, first of all, if you haven't been inside of it, you should. Because he, he maintained it, right? The best way I could ever imagine. Like he actually like put these plexiglass platinum things on the walls to preserve even the stickers and what it looked like and save yeah. the stage and I mean, it looks like CB's still, right. you know, there's no bar there, but now the bar is really the counter where you check out and shit like okay. that. But, yeah. but for the most That's part, yeah. I walk That's in, hard. I'm like, shit, I can still feel it here, you know, so to some degree. Because uh, I, I love CB's. I played there so many times. It was one of my favorite places to play. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of an amazing thing to walk in there. And, and it's almost like a little uh, museum, you know, sorts. That's, I got to go check that out. We played there one time and I, you know, like it was a big honor. I mean, it was a huge moment. And it was, it was, uh, I just remember that bathroom boy. Woo. Oh. <laughs> you know, like that bathroom was just, it's wildly impressive and terrifying all in the same breath. Yeah. Um, there's some pretty amazing photos that came out of that bathroom, actually. Right. Yeah. I always think about I always think about the story of uh, the the guitar player or the bass player for uh, the Ramones. You know, he needs to clean his. He's getting ready to shoot heroin with somebody, and he gets ready to clean his rig, and he sticks his fucking. You know, he goes to clean his rig in the fucking water in the fucking toilet bowl, <laughs> and then that's how he cleans his rig. And then, all right, I'm ready to go. And he, you know, then shoots his into his fucking arm. I'm like, what a lunatic! That's wow. all I, I was sitting there taking a shit on that toilet, and that's the only story going through my head. <laughs> it's like this motherfucker stuck his needle in that water right there. Yeah, that's grody as shit, man. Wow. 
Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, definitely is one of those places where you walked in and you could have the, that punk rock, like just, you know, years and decades of all that punk rock mystique and everything, you felt it, but also just the amount of like germs and weird shit living, you know, there. Wow. Uh, you can't get to the, ba- to the, to the basement or the, um, bathrooms anymore, okay. but the rest of it is, is pretty awesome. And I would do, I would go check it out for sure. But like I, I was saying, I, I like to remind people that like it could have been a fucking Rite Aid, you know what I mean, or something right. that does not resemble. Yeah, they could have just demolished it. Yeah, I wish I'd seen them do. You know, like a, a Konyan High, for instance, turned into like a Japanese restaurant. So yeah. it, it's the furthest thing from a venue, and then Konyan High was huge for you know New Yorkers back in the day. It's where yeah. like you know Meshuggah played their first show in America ever. It's where okay. Death played their last show before chuck died you know all that kind of shit so um yeah but and now that's nothing so it could be worse but yeah growing up in new york was really really rough um i'm very very fortunate to have the parents that i i didn't do as they were uh always about like you know just just your dreams and and just do it and you know like they're pushing me in music they saw that i connected to music even though i didn't connect a whole lot like i said i it's not into sports. I didn't have friends. I was a loner. I read books and metal was my, my scapegoat. That was my way, man, to, to connect with life, with people and with an interest around the world, you know, and we're going back to traveling, how we started this conversation, you know, as a kid, I was so poor. I never thought I would ever leave Brooklyn ever, you know, just, there was no way that I would ever do that. Like there's, the money it was just absurd to have any kind of money, you know, barely were able to like fucking eat some days and pay rent. Um, and fast forward, you know, when I first got to travel and go overseas, it was like the biggest moment to me. And I really <laughs> never stopped since. And, you know, it's been such a huge dream to do so. And, you know, a lot of that is because of metal and, being a young kid, you know, 13 years old, reading about mayhem, you know, and, and, and emperor, this brand new band named emperor and, and shit like that. And, uh, dreaming about what, you know, Norway looks like in my head, you know, and, and what's going on there and, and places like Sweden just feels like a million miles away. It's like, it's not even real. It's so far, you know, you, you, it's not, it's unfathomable. Like what, which is crazy to think now, like I go there, you know, at least once, twice a year or something like that. But like, you know, growing up, it was just one of those things where I just always dreamt of traveling and, and where these bands come from, where are my favorite artists, where do they live, what conditions they live in, what are they doing, you know? So it's pretty amazing to, to grow up and uh, it all comes full circle, you know? What's your first trip out of the country? Um, it was... A really simple one, actually. Uh, I went to go visit a friend in London, and from London, wound up going to Paris, and then Paris went to Amsterdam. Uh, <laughs> that's a good little trifecta of decadence right there. <laughs> it's like the essentials, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, and now, it was are only are you there? Are you there like on behalf of metal injection? Are you like, no, no, it's just or... actually really early on. Actually, I went with Rob, uh, my partner at the time, Rob. Um, okay. He, me and him and uh, two other friends, we just decided like, fuck it, you know, like, let's just do this. Let's just go, you know, and do you go to uh, see bands or anything? Like, are you just just to travel? 
just to travel. And it was, yeah. it was only like maybe nine days or something like that, you know? So it was like really quick, you know, trifecta type thing. And, nice and but that was, yeah, but that was it. That was just, I was hooked, you know, from there, it's just like bewildered and, you know, uh, now it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's gone off the charts for sure. Do you of course you know? hit the red light district when you're in Amsterdam. Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I still do that like once do a year. Do you partake because... in the, in the red light district though? No comment. No, <laughs> <laughs> no uh, I, I mean, I, I do smoke weed. I've gone through back and forth with, uh, with that. Like I definitely took like many years off from smoking and mm. became more of a drinker nowadays uh you know maybe it's just the older i get those hangovers get fucking horrendous so some days i'm like all right i'd rather just smoke it than than drink it you know right um but i do go to amsterdam a lot and that's because of roadburn festival okay so, so i go to roadburn and usually have to like fly into amsterdam so i'm like whether i'm coming in or leaving like i'm gonna hit amsterdam i think you know outside of the red light district which is one aspect of it and, you know, even though you're walking through it, it's more of like a really crazy sights, but you don't have to partake or, or do anything yeah. there. It's just, it's cool to like, oh, well, also they have a very different way of looking at it, you know, um, you, you know, there, yeah, there's women dancing in windows, you know, right. like, but you can go to a strip club here. Yeah. I mean, totally. I'm, you know, and it's like, what's the difference really, you know? <laughs> right. There's no difference. Yeah. It's just that that's all government sanctioned and another checked and cleaned and you know like they have to pass tests and right anything is i think it's safer for people yeah absolutely yeah I'm, I'm a really big fan of amsterdam um and and all of holland for that matter you know i love the way that they do things the people there are, are fantastic and uh, you know um like i said i try to hit it once a year and uh great food great times great people you know you start playing in bands around this around this 13 14 year age i did nothing of note really but i i did um what are you reading when you're a kid like you're saying you're reading all the time are you reading like lord of the rings or the like what are you reading like well i funny series? enough so, like series so i started with uh i think my first love was edgar Allan poe uh and that was like in third or fourth grade so Crazy. yeah so i i I don't know. Um, I, my grandmother gave me this like Edgar Allan Poe book of like all his stories in one big anthology thing. And uh, whenever we were allowed to do book reports on like whatever we chose to do, I would always choose Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> and, and my teachers were always like, I can't believe this. You're doing this. I can't believe you read this and you actually understand it. And you know, that's pretty badass. Um, but what's really weird is why don't I read to the same, you know, the same way that I used to, you know, I, it's one of those things where you get older and you kind of lose touch with it. I definitely don't read the, the same way. But you never but, went into like a series of books like, uh, no, I did. I Nancy mean, Drew or, you know, like, um, Michael Crichton, I was really into him for some reason. I don't know, like Jurassic Park. I read before I saw it, you know, okay. uh, a lot of stuff that became movies, I actually would read it before it became a movie, you know? Um, um, Harry Potter. I was oh, right. a huge yeah, Harry Potter nerd. There you go. Yeah, like a, that's what I meant by like a series. Yeah, yeah. I was a huge Harry Potter nerd. Fucking um, great books, dude. They're so good. They're yeah. so good. I've read, you know, my read those and then my kids went fucking crazy watching Harry Potter movies. 
You I, read them. That's 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 I, interesting. I fucking loved them. They were great. They're written. I I personally like the books better than the movies just because you know, like I don't know. I just thought I don't know. I was just more engaged with the book for whatever reason. I, same, absolutely same. I mean, but you could probably, you know, anybody who reads a book is probably going to say that too, you know, like, oh, I liked it. Cause I, it, you I know, like, I like some of the movies. I thought some of them were well done. Yeah. I wasn't into the Chris Columbus, uh, you know, PG, the first and second one, I believe it was, but it got better from there for sure. You know, yeah. I think oh, the books sorry. really kind of went a trajectory of, of being more adult as they went on. I remember by like Goblet of Fire number four, it was just like, all right, this is no longer a kid's book. This is now a real right. fucking story. Like there's murder and love and everything in one book, you know? Right. Um, yeah, that was a turning point for sure. And you're what, like 15 at this point? 10? 15? What the hell are you? When you're uh, to be honest, I don't know. I'm terrible with that, by the way. Like, I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> when did that come out? I can look it up. I have no, I have no idea. Yeah. Goblet of Fire. Um, uh, well, no, 2000. Okay. So yeah, so I was closer to like 19 then or whatever. 20. Yeah. Right on. So you're still reading like pretty late into your teens, like reading heavily and yeah. Oh yeah. Starting, uh, starting to socialize and with metal shows and metal people and maybe even hardcore shows and yeah, it, it, I mean, like, I, I think I did my first tour in the U.S. when I was like 17. And that's also like when I first time drinking and stuff like that, you know, um, that's really I would say like 17 was kind of when I started to like creep out of my shell a bit, you know. Um, and then by the time I was like 22, whatever, then then that's when I was, you know, uh, getting more comfortable with it. Um but even like we were going back, like when I was talking about like even early metal injection days, I was still like a very timid dude, you know? So like, for instance, Rob took a lot of the interviews, even though I might've been more equipped or, you know, uh, new history and backgrounds of bands, Rob is way more out there the of a person yeah, 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 than I was at the time, you know? Big, loud. Right? Yeah. And, and that changed over time, you know? And I think the notion of, of growing up and you start to realize like, you know, maybe you find this true too, but like when you think about yourself as a kid, you just think everyone else has the answers, you know, everyone else can do it better. Like, you know, your teachers, your parents, everybody else, they just know. Right. And then you grow up and you're like, no, nah, they had no fucking clue. They're just winging it. <laughs> like we all are, we're just yeah. winging it, man. And when you realize that you're like, well, yeah, I can do this. I can easily do this. And let me, why, why haven't I done the only thing stopping me is me. Right. Right. So you kind of let it go. And, and, you know, then I transitioned to doing more of the interviews and, and um, getting out there and, you know, it was, it was fine. I, what I realized is like, wow, okay. I've been friends with these people for so long. It's just like having a conversation with them, you know? So it's pretty wild to think that you meet George uh, when he's early on in his cannibal career. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. When he's, which, yeah. which I think was a really unique time you know, it's hard, it's hard to even imagine this now because the dude is so fucking beloved and, you know, like he's a fucking beast on stage and, you know, it's fucking one of my favorite funny. humans. I, like, I actually been to his house recently. I was in uh, Tampa. We, we worked together uh, for his new album and uh, he's just he's adored everywhere. Like you go out and around the town with him and stuff like that. And he's just showing me like his favorite spots to hang out and where they do like cannibal shoots and whatnot. And 
um, just a, a, a really unique human being for sure. But like early on, like I remember like we did some shows with him back like early on when he had just, we still knew to the band and fucking, I mean like the whole front row would be hating on him and fucking like flipping them off and like talking shit. I mean, it was pretty brutal for a while. Like I was, I was actually shocked because I was just like, what the fuck? Like this dude's fucking sick, you know, like brutal, yeah. you know, like, and just people, you know, didn't accept him for because he was new yeah you know? and people they have a hard time accepting new things um even though they might be better than the old thing they just it just takes time to kind of get used to it um and that happens all the time in metal you know i mean you, you could think of so many different scenarios where that was true right um but yeah, it's uh, I surprised with the, uh, you know, like I wouldn't it wouldn't have surprised me to hear people talking shit online. I was really surprised to see people talking shit in the front row <laughs> right. while they were playing. You know, that's when I was just like, whoa, boy, you got some balls because this dude could fucking choke you the fuck out if he wanted to. You know, who's laughing now? You know, yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> that dude's probably paying top dollar now. He's buying the whole fucking line of merch when it comes to the shit. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The VIP meet and greets and all. <laughs> right, all right. <laughs> I was flipping you off. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. No, yet, yet George is just like, he, you know, you probably tell him that. And he'd be like, yeah, yeah, okay. You know, it's just a right of passage, winning him over. You know, it's like he's just a, a very humble human. I love him. Yeah. You know, he's the best. Yeah. And, you know, people like, I don't know, like you've had so many lineup changes in Machine Head, you know, do you ever feel like people give you shit for that? So, sometimes the lineup change is welcome. <laughs> you know, like, if I being truthful, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, cool. <laughs> that guy's right. on the band, sweet. You know, so, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, people get, again, people get attached, but, you know, I mean, we've only, you know, like I, in the that is that's kind of like a mythology that we've had a lot of and when i look at like cradle of filth like that's oh. a lot of lineup changes we've had yeah. six i'm like okay like you know we've had iron maidens had more than us like i'm like i don't feel like it's that many but that's true it, i it never really kind think of a of thing that, that like got stuck on us and like it's just whatever i just fucking you yeah. know whatever <laughs> who fucking cares well, you know, I think it's, it, it, there's two different ways of going like certain bands, they stay together forever. Right. Um, other bands, you know, like then you have like Trivium who has a different drummer every couple of years or whatever, like that's becomes right. like their thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I look at Maiden and it's like Maiden had Deano who I loved the, the original singer. And then they had Bruce who I also loved. Then they had the Blaze Bailey guy, which I did not love, you know, and then, you know, like there was so many iterations in there and then Adrian was out and then I guess they're back together for the most part now. So it seems going back to Blaze Bailey though, seems like it didn't change even though right. it did. Uh, the Blaze Bailey days were really interesting. That was the X factor or yes. as they call that tour, the X factor. Uh, and I remember that coming through right after the blizzard of 96 in New York. And, and this is actually a, a memory I thought of recently because uh, New York just had a blizzard and well, I didn't experience it. I'm over here, right. but uh, in the sun, palm trees, and like, ah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's why I come out to LA. Um, but yeah, they went through another blizzard there. And I thought of like, they were comparing it to blizzard of 96. And that imme immediately made me think of the first time I met Iron Maiden uh, oh, was a night. Wow. Yeah, I was like 15 years old, and it was in the that tour in 1996. I wound up, my dad, huge Iron Maiden fan, obviously, and we got stuck in the snow, and because it was insane, and we were like pushing his car, 
into, you know, whatever, like we were so afraid of missing the show that we just like pushed his car over to the sidewalk and then ran in to go see the show. And uh, I think it was like fear factory was opening that tour or something, maybe body count. And then, um, and then there were so little people there. There's only like 30, 40 people who showed up because it was oh, a fucking blizzard. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and they played still and then came down and shook everyone's hand and met Holy them. Holy shit. That's just, awesome. As a thank you to like the 30, 40 people who showed up in the worst snow ever in New York, you know? Wow. That is fucking rad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Iron Maiden can never do wrong to me. I mean, I, there's a lot yeah. of those bands. So you met Blaze. Yeah. 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 Uh, I wound up meeting Bruce many, many years later, but uh, got through all of them eventually. You know? But that's the first time you see Maiden is on the Blaze Bailey era. That was the first time, yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, yes, that was. And, and I've seen him so many yeah. times. He had a great voice. I mean, like, I remember him from Wolfsbane, and he was like, he had a fucking awesome voice. It was interesting to, to I mean, his, 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 his take on, you know, Hallowed Be Thy Name or Number of the Beast, you know. Yes, yeah, which he did. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was really interesting to hear his voice kind of fit into, into that whole thing. And, and, you know, it's not too unlike, like, you know, I've seen Dio perform with Black Sabbath, you know, those days, the cross purposes store and stuff like that. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the first time I saw Black Sabbath was with Dio, you know, and that was also really weird to me, you know, cause like you grow up listening to Ozzy perform D, um, you know, Black Sabbath. And then I'm watching this other legend do it, do it instead. You know, it's really weird. I, you know, I, uh, I agree with you. The first time I was un I unfortunately never got a chance to see any of those eras of Sabbath. So the first time I see Black Sabbath, I want to say it's 96, 97 and it's with Tony, the cat Martin. <laughs> and this is like, I can't, I don't know what album he's on. I just was like, I, I wanted to love it so bad. It's at the Warfield, you know, they're playing like a smaller venue and I wanted to love it so bad. And, you know, all, I'm sure Tony, the cat Martin's a great singer, but I was just like, I can't know. I can't. Like, right. I just got, I had to leave like five songs into it. I Actually, like, you just I, reminded me that is the cross purposes tour. So oh, okay, heaven okay. and hell was uh Dio and cross purposes. Was Tony yeah. Martin. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh, so you see Tony Martin both. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I think Amorphous or somebody, a finish, I know a Finnish band was opening. That's like, I remember. Yeah. Uh, weird time. Yeah. Morpheus. I fuck. I fucking love them too. Since the very, that was one of those bands, those early bands that growing up in the early nineties, like, I'm like, what is Finland? Like, like, you know, I can only imagine because of I'm like listening to what they were doing. And it was so unlike anything else at the time, you know, like listening to tales from a thousand lakes and the Carolina Ithmus, you know, in the early nineties, just the sounds that were coming out of Europe were just, uh, amazing to me. So I, I just had this idea that it was something totally different than America right? Know, growing up. And then, you know, then you get there and you're like, oh, it's just like a cleaner version of New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not all, it's not all that, like you get to Norway and you land in like, you know, the main city and you're just like, oh, what, there's no fucking like churches burning and like fire, you know, forests everywhere. I mean, you know, there is, but you know. It paints a very different perspective. Um, and, and I think that movie that came out a couple of years ago, Lords of Chaos, like it, it that did a really great job at maybe um, turning that narrative, really. And and because what we're talking about is a bunch of rich kids who were running around a very rich city, killing each other, 
Right. You know, and nobody wants to think of it that way. It's, it's more mysterious to think about church burnings and forests and whatnot. And right. But no, they they like, I actually went to the building that, um, uh, you know, Euronymous died in and like, it's, you know, a condo, like it was probably like a million dollar condo compared right. to, you know, to New York standards and stuff. And, um, it's, it's a wild thing to, to kind of see it firsthand and, but it's also, you know, not unlike going to, you know, the pyramids of, of, you know, Egypt or something like that and realize that there's a pizza hut, like five feet away, you know, is there, it's not five feet, but it's, okay. it's right there. Yeah. Crazy. I haven't been there. I gotta, that's one of the places I do want to go. Yeah. Everywhere else. Like, I mean, you go to like, uh, the is Coliseum that near, is that near Morocco. No, no, no. So, well, okay. Egypt is on the other side. So Morocco's okay. on the Western side and Egypt's okay. on the Eastern side. Okay. Uh, but it is Northern Africa. Um, but yeah, it's uh, everywhere you go or, or you have these like thoughts about what it is. And then when you get there, the reality it's and not to take it away because it's always worth going, you know, right. but it's the realization that like Western civilization is really kind of impeded on what used to be, you know? So like you go to the Coliseum and there's a Subway sandwich, not too far. Right. Yeah, right there in Rome, right? <laughs> you know? Although, so, although it's so badass, though, to see the fucking policy. Uh, it's, one of my favorite things I've ever done, you know? Yeah. Like, I had chills just walking through there, you know? Yeah. It's, so. it's, we, did, um, we did Israel at one point. Um, we did Dubai, Israel, and I think India, Bangalore, India. And uh, at the time, Israel was... I mean, there was some kind of like fighting going on and it was really close to where we were playing. It was like 50, 60 miles away, like some serious, like fucking war, like full on war shit going. So they were like, you can't walk out alone. You know, like you gotta just, you know, but I was like, fuck that. Like I'm in, I'm probably may never get to Israel again, you know, like, and that's what, always what I think. Like, even when I go on tour, like just to England, like I may never, like I'm the tourist when I'm on, on a day off or whatever, like. I want to see everything. I may never get here again. Like I'm, you know, like I'm going to soak this in for everything it's worth because who fucking knows what's going to happen. You know, like people may hate my band fucking next year and I'll never go to Japan ever again. So fucking just go out and enjoy it. And, I love uh, that you do that by the way, because there's so many artists that don't, you know, like they're just like, no, I'm going to stay on the, the bus and, yeah. and sit in their hotel. I, you know, so many of my, you know, Sometimes band members just like sit in their fucking hotel room for 24 hours and they're like, I'm fucking bored. I'm like, oh, you're bored because you're sitting in your fucking hotel room. Like, yeah. No, I'm the same way, man. Like I, I did a tour a few years ago in Europe with, with Mika's murder. And I got to a point where they just knew to take my bag. I was always going to leave it at the door, wherever we were, hotel, whatever, leave it at the door, just take my bag, put it in the, in, you know, the van, bus, whatever. And, and they'll just reach out to me. Uh, I'll send them a pin drop where I was in the city, you know, six, seven hours later. And they would come pick me up before we like moved on to the next spot. Oh, right. that's, just, that's just how we rolled because it's like, I'm not just because you guys want to sleep and yeah, I don't know, do nothing, whatever the fuck you want to do. Yeah. You know, take your time that's fine. breakfast. <laughs> that's fine. Do your thing. But like, I want to go explore. Cause I don't know if I'm going to be here again. I don't know if I'm interested in coming back here. And to me, it's like I said, tour is kind of a sampler. You yeah, know, I'm yeah. like, there's been some cities that are so good. I'm like, yeah, I got to make it a point to go back and really check it out for, you know, a week or two, whatever. Israel was wild because it's the, you know, I'm not a religious dude. So like whatever anybody believes, I'm just like, whatever, that's what you believe. Cool. I don't believe that, but that's cool if you believe that. And, uh, 
you know, so to, to kind of look at, you know, Israel in this dispassionate way, I don't have any feelings towards Christianity or Muslim or Judaism, anything like, you know, you get to the wailing wall, you know, and like if you get to the wailing wall, then it's kind of like you kind of go on this path that kind of leads you for everything. It's the path that Jesus carried the cross up supposedly. And then it's got the church that's built on where the cross was supposedly, you know, so you, you get there and it's like, there's the wall and then the wall is divided by three giant. So like, this is the wall this way. And then there's three giant walls going this direction that divide the wall so that each secular group can go pray at the wall and along the wall. I mean, like it's fucking barbed wire and dudes with guns and fucking like to stop the people on either side of the other wall to from fighting, you know, while they go to pray at the wailing wall. And I was just like, this is like, it's the same fucking wall. Like, this is the stupidest. This makes no goddamn sense. Like, but you know, they've been fighting about it for you know hundreds or thousands of years, I guess, apparently. And, uh, wow. And then you go, and then you go out of the Wailing Wall, and that comes up the street that supposedly carried. And the, you know, it sounds so great, like when you hear, like, "Oh, this is the street where Jesus carried the cross all the way up." And you know, you're like, and then you get there, and it's like Subway, Pizza Hut, <laughs> you know, get a smoothie, pomegranate, you know, like pomegranates. Pomegranates are everywhere, so you can get like fresh pomegranates. <laughs> and I was just like, right. you know, it's a T-shirt printing shop with G- you can get Jesus printed on a T-shirt. I was like, this is not like what you're saying. Like, it's not what you. I was like, this is not at all what. I imagined like this is right it just sounds like so you know from a tourism there's hells right there like the actual you know hell is supposed to be there like this little area where they burned all these people alive which is where hell came from and then uh, you get to the church and I I gotta say I I highly recommend going if you ever get a chance go to Israel you really should because it's just a fucking it's wild and it's awesome and best chai tea I've ever had in my fucking life Wow. Like just everywhere. But you get to the church and the church is so pretty much every religion that's ever existed in time has claimed some part of this church. And so you walk into the church and or it's like, you know, it's more like a cathedral. And there's the each sec there's like a ten to fifteen foot section that's been claimed by name your religion so you walk in and on one one wall you know in one room the first room you walk into jesus is black you know and then the next room you walk into jesus is what the next room you walked in jesus is asian the next room you walk into jesus is you know what persian or whatever like name your i was just like oh, like this is the biggest mind fuck like how do you walk through this and go oh yeah that's my dude like you know, like that's amazing. there's like a hundred different dudes there you know like it was just it was it was wild and i you know, just for the whole, uh, you know, I don't know if you're a religious guy, but like just to experience that was really, I'm really- not at all. Um, I, I kind of put religion up there with sports. It's just something that I've never <laughs> taken to, or I don't know the I rules. Know the rules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually. Uh, so I, my mom is, uh, she, and, and my sister, uh, the very, uh, you know, religious based and, and Catholic, I think, I don't know. Um, but so growing up, it was definitely part of, it was, it was actually kind of funny. My dad is like, you know, 
satanic metalhead and my mom's like you know his, hate, right? his, hispanic house mom was like religious so it's like their side of the bed had like angels and then devils you know so it was, <laughs> it was, it was a really weird like for house. real like they had like devils on yeah, yeah my dad had devils on his side my mom had angels on her side and it's kind oh, of a funny awesome. atmosphere to live in but your last name's godla yeah well, that's just, right yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're one of the only people that I ever say it right which is incredible okay uh, yeah, I, that's, uh, what we believe is, uh, well, my dad's part Hungarian, so Italian Hungarian. And I think okay. it, that comes from like the Hungarian side and probably shortened down like Ellis Island style, or I don't really know to right, be honest right. with you. Yeah. I never really looked at the lineage of that, but, um, yeah, probably a story like that. I doubt it was Godla. but, um, yeah, going back to that, I mean, I, I'm not religious whatsoever, but I have been to the Vatican. And that was mind blowing, like the whole, the whole thing, like even just getting in and it's his own country inside Rome, you know, totally. like it was, and then like, you basically have to go through customs and everything else, like you would a, another country and, and then you're there and everything's just like, it's I actually remember saying, uh, it's, I'd never seen anything bigger than Metallica, but if there was, it would be Vatican. You know, like, it's just like, right. like it's Jesus is such a big deal there that, you know, I, I've never seen anything like it. And and the St. Peter's church and everything was just like, it, it just mind blowing. I, like I was in awe in the very sense of the word, just like, I, I've never seen anything this big. Like it's this, amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So, um, yes, it's, it's, it's amazing to think like certain aspects of religion, have done stuff like that that could take your breath away. But in a lot of aspects, it's just like the blood that's been shed over it is just ridiculous to me, you know, and probably why I never subscribed to any one of them. You know, if I did had to go with one, it'd probably be uh, Buddhism. You know, I have a lot of Buddhist friends and they tell me that I'm naturally Buddhist based on my beliefs and, you know, just like how I treat people and stuff like that. Um, you know, cause the way I see it, life always comes back to bite you in the ass sometime, you know? When, uh, Lar this is an odd segue, but you know, <laughs> this is a question I ask from a lot of people because I think it's an interesting uh, subject. So Lars Ulrich has a theory that the reason that the Black Album by Metallica or Master of Puppets by Metallica is so popular is because so many people lost their virginity to that album. You know, at some point, because it's those, and, and it's like I, the funniest thing to me to think about because, like, he has to think about why that, that record's still so popular. Like, why is right. this record so popular? Like, but he actually has to think that just makes me fucking laugh out loud. But, but, and, and with that, <laughs> right, I love, first of all, I love the idea of Lars trying to rationalize his own right. success. It's like, <laughs> it's the, the fucking thing, it blows me away to even think, like, trying to rationalize, like, why the fuck am I selling 7,000 records a week still yeah. of the Black Album? Right. Like, why am must, I a billionaire? It must be because they lost their fucking virginity. But this is, I've had this conversation with them multiple times, and he genuinely believes it, and I think it's hilarious. But, uh, you know, so what is, it, and if there, you know, what is the song that's playing when you lose your virginity? Or is there a movie playing or is there music playing or is there silence? What is this? Uh, I mean, you get laid from me, me personally. Yes. Oh my God. I don't know if anybody wants to hear this. Um, if, <laughs> as I remember it, it was three eleven, and it wasn't my choice, but the girl's choice. So, okay. Well, that was yeah. smart. 
That was smart. Yeah. Of course, it's always for the women, you know. Right. Yeah. So three eleven. Do you remember this song? Is it like the is it the Amber's album or is it the like the no. first, kind of those first big hits that they had? Yeah, it's the it's it's uh, paint, paint the scene for the listeners of. <laughs> I don't think they want that. Uh, <laughs> they do. They do. Uh, I remember there was bunk beds involved. It's very sad. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was during. It was the 311 self-titled. So it's like the blue one that everyone knows with yes. "Down." You know the song "Down" and all mixed up and all that shit. Who knows? It might have been all mixed up. To be honest with you, playing or okay. you know, I don't fucking know. Yeah. Um, but that's that's uh, that was the album that was playing. Awesome. And uh, certainly not Metallica. That would have been cooler. But I think that's a ridiculous notion, to be honest with you, because like at any given moment, people are losing their like how many. Did he think every metalhead in the world was just waiting to lose their virginity for this album to come out and drop? Then then no, that's it, ridiculous to think, you know, yeah. um, you know, I mean, just over time, you know, that like people are continually losing their virginity to this album. You know, like even now, because it still continues to sell so many to even like, you know, right, I right see. now, as we're speaking, there is a 15 year old kid. <laughs> Maybe he's not buying the album, but he's down, you know, he's pulling it up on Spotify and he's getting ready to get down with his girlfriend. <laughs> you know, I could I could definitely tell you more often than not when I, I've done the act, it was to and it was my choice. It's like like typo negative or something okay. sexier than yeah, metallica, metallica or 311 so <laughs> <laughs> yeah typo i it seems like a lot of people have typo negative playing you know i grew up in that like they were my hometown heroes so uh what, what i've noticed and, and i've talked to kenny and johnny about this many times but it's like it's it's weird to see like every year this kind of like this resurgence of of interest and in what they do you know and it, it just like that legendary status just kind of creeps up and gets bigger as time goes on um, in a lot, in the same way that like Pantera, for instance, you know, like now that, you know, Diamond and Vinny are gone and it'll never be like, it cultivates a certain different, you know, a different thing, uh, legendary status and what it, it would have been if those guys were still here, you know? Um, but anyway, typo negative is definitely one of those things where because they never try to cash cow it and do, uh, you know, uh, get another vocalist on it or, or do, you know, uh, tribute sets or anything like that. They kind of just left it like the, the band was done when he was, he died. It became its own cult status, you know? Um, and every single year, it seems like there's more and more typo fans than ever before, you know, uh, which is really interesting to me as somebody who literally grew up with it. You know, I, I watched typos, shows at Lemoore's, you know, in 93, 94 during, you know, bloody kisses, um, you know, before they went out in like world war wide tours and stuff like that. Cause like Peter didn't want to leave home. Like he was, he loved Brooklyn, never wanted to leave anywhere. Had a great job. Yeah. He got a great day job. He never wanted to leave it. Um, so it was, it was really interesting, like, like going back in, in time and thinking like, wow, these were like real hometown heroes. They, they meant something so big to me. And I didn't really want to share it with the world back then. And, and now I have no choice but to, you know, because it's everywhere. Um, plus, I, funny enough, uh, the high school that I went to, I went to Edward R. Murrow. And the reason I picked it, I, again, being a super nerd and going to like these top schools in New York, I had the choice of going to the three best music schools 
Um, and I chose the third best being Edward Amaro because Peter Steele went there and, <laughs> you know, I, so I wound up going and what I did not realize is that the reason he went there is because it was his zone school and he lived to that day, like two or three blocks away. So I'd run into him all the fucking time. Oh, crazy. And I would, and you would know that he's around because he had the craziest car I've ever seen in my life. Still to this day, like yeah. this, the image of this car is implanted in my head. It, they we used to call it the beast okay. and it was kind of like this 1986 chrysler like a regular fucking you know dad mobile Sedan. yeah yeah and but he but he but he peterized it you know so he like took off the bumpers he put like two by sixes bolted on strapped chains across the whole thing put monster <laughs> tires on it they spray, spray painted the entire thing in military green and red you know okay and, and it looked like the typo mobile you know and you'll, oh, you'll never see anything like it. I mean, I think I've it's actually this. I've never heard this story, dude. It's like that car and even crazier. So his grandmother uh, used to live a block away from me where I lived. So I would go to school. I would see him, you know, and then I would get home on the school bus and I would see him again. And I'd be like, what the fuck is he following me? You know, <laughs> but it just happened that like, it's really weird that, um, you know, his areas and my areas in, in Brooklyn totally intertwined. And um, yeah, it, it was, I, I've run into him. I talked to him a couple of times, you know, in, in like the bank and pizza shops. I'd see him doing everyday shit, you know, like going grocery shopping and stuff like that. Actually, yeah. I'll tell you one of the craziest stories I have about Peter. Uh, this, I'm outside my school doing homework and I watch him come out of his house, get into his car. And he take, takes the car down the block, leaves it double parked, goes in, does his shopping, gets back into his car and reverses back into the same spot. Like he didn't want to, he didn't want to walk down the block. So he, he drove down the block and double parked it to go shopping. And then it was the weirdest thing. Uh, I don't know how hungover he was, but it was kind of an amazing thing to watch. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Did you ever talk to Jimmy Duff about all the Peter stories? Um, of course, like I live at Duff, you know, so, uh, at Duff's, I, uh, me and Jimmy are good friends and, and I probably go there more often than I really should. And, uh, yeah, he knows, he knows, he knows, um, you know, I, I've gone there so many times with Kenny, um, just random nights and stuff like that. So, which is always kind of weird, like just the fandom that goes on, you know, like to see Kenny there and like people come out of the woodwork, like they want, you know. But you go anywhere with Kenny and just like everybody wants photos and shit like that, which is, it's amazing to see, you know, I love that. Same thing with like Alex Skolnick, who's also a New Yorker. So like, I'll go out to, I don't know, somewhere with him and, and people just stop us and want to take photos and shit with him. Um, and rightfully so. These fucking dudes are like legends, you know, they're amazing. I mean, they're, they're friends, but I never forget that they're, they're, you know, my heroes too. So. Right. right. That's awesome. The, the Peter Steele stuff is, Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's funny cause we toured with them a bunch of times, like in the nineties, mid, mid nineties, late nineties. And, and I, and I always loved the dudes and I, and I, and I liked a lot of songs, but I didn't get everything at the time, you know, like, especially like after bloody kisses, some of the stuff they were doing. And, uh, and I remember we played one show in, uh, we played one show in France and uh, I don't know why we just, I think it was like festivals and we all just did a big festival and it was like machine head typo. And I don't fucking, I can't remember who, what coal, coal chamber or something. And, 
but I remember just like sitting there. We and we had already toured. We had already done Ozfest. We'd already done a bunch of dates, and then, and I just remember watching them at that Paris show, and like everything clicked. And this is probably probably two years after Bloody Kisses, you know. So like, or maybe even longer. I can't. What year was Bloody Kisses? Uh, ninety three. So oh, yeah. So this no. So this is probably like six years after Bloody Kisses. Yeah. This is like probably ninety nine. Okay. And uh, so that was like around World Coming Down, which I, yes. is like one of my favorite records that they've done. Yeah. And, and I just, and I finally got it. Like it all, like it all made sense. And I was like, Oh fuck. Like I totally get it. And I was just me standing on the side of the stage. Actually, I wasn't even standing on the side. Of, I was standing on the side of the barricade kind of near the crowd, like by the curtain or whatever. And, uh, I was like, fuck, this is so good. Like, I don't, why did it, like I was sitting there like kicking myself going, why did it take you so long to get this? Like, what the fuck, dude? Like, this is so, you know, and just, and I remember after that show, we did, we fucking, we had a bunch of French wine and Peter came back and he was like fucking carrying me like I was his wife. <laughs> he's like, carrying me like <laughs> over the threshold, <laughs> you know, and he's a fucking huge dude. So. Yeah. And uh, he's sitting there and we always had a joke because I've, I always, I've always worn like bracelets forever, you know, like for every, like forever I've had like just a giant handful of bracelets and stuff. And he'd always come up to me and the joke was always, Rob, I love a man who can accessorize. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was the kind of shit he would say all the time. Yeah. And, and those dudes, like, I, I think because of their music or the aesthetic of it, whatever, like people may not know how funny they are, you know, and how really funny, dude. Yeah. Just super dry humor. Like you got every joke, like 10 seconds later. (laughs) Right. Right. And not only, I mean, a lot, a lot of their music is tongue in cheek stuff, you know, a lot of what they're talking about in their lyrics is, is jokes and uh, the entire persona of who they took on. I mean, like we're talking about four Brooklyn boys, like a couple of fucking Brooklyn douchebags, you know, or, you know, I mean, that's what they sound like in real life. And then you get on stage and it just this have this like iconic Gothic atmosphere to it. Um, there's, it's really interesting, you know, uh, I, I've always found that interesting at least to, to see who they are and, and, you know, but at the same time, like what they, you know, they're, they're known to be to the, to the, to the world, you know, anybody who hasn't like maybe spent time with them or talked to them one-on-one, it's a very different thing, you know? Yeah. Like John, like you go backstage and Johnny's just like blasting kiss and like, you know, like he's just life of the party. And like, I love Johnny. He's fucking awesome. I love all those guys, but yeah, know, now Johnny, he's in like five or six different bands and Danzig, Quiet Riot, you name it, you know, Hookers was he doing Blow. Quiet Riot? Okay, cool. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's playing drums in Quiet Riot, uh, Hookers and Blow with uh, Dizzy Reed. Nice. Um, busy boy, very busy boy, which is why I get to do some fill in work, you know, when he can't make it for Silver Tomb stuff. So, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I'll probably end it with this. We've been talking for a while. I don't want to keep you forever, but, uh, I gotta say, I uh, I interviewed Trevor from Black Dahlia uh, five or six months ago, or whenever I don't even remember when it was. And you know, I was doing some research on him and just listening to some podcasts and watching some podcasts. And I gotta say, your interview with him from like I don't know five or six months ago—it was not that far away from when we were talking—was one of the best interviews I think I've ever listen to and I don't you know like I only listen to interviews really because like of what I'm doing now and you know like I'm not that big of a you know unless it's somebody I really want to like hear what they're saying 
you know, and that interview, you know, granted, there's obviously a great rapport between you two. Yeah. You know, aside from the fact that Trevor's just one of the best dudes ever, you know, like, but like you guys had, like, it was such a fucking interesting conversation. Like I was started watching it cause I was doing it and then I had to like move, but I ended up just putting it on my, uh, like my little boom, my little uh, Bluetooth thing speaker and just listening to it. And man, you guys went over so many like crazy topics and just, I don't know. I just wanted to say, you know, like fucking well done on that. And, uh, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I mean, yes. Uh, Trevor is one of my, my homies, my best friends. Um, I, I, I got really fortunate to know the people that I do him being one of them. And, um, you know, it's, it's great to, to have that feedback. And I've certainly heard, you know, people talk about my interviews and stuff like that, which is really the only reason I keep on doing it, you know, like, people ha are responding to it and and i think instead of trying to be funny or whatever else like let's just be honest you know we're all people we're we're not always on all the time we're not always funny all the time we're not always in the best moods or anything like that but you know let's be real about who we are because there's a lot of people out there who are going through the same shit we are you know there's a lot of people out there who are suffering and hurting and you know um definitely like mental health has become a big part of, of who I am and, and what I do. Not that I want to like wear that on my sleeve every single day or anything like that. Or, but, um, I, if I, if there's anybody listening out there, I just want them to know that they're not alone. You know, everybody's hurting, including stars, you know, everybody, people that we look up to, everybody has bad days and shit. So, well, thank you for saying that though. And, and it means a lot to me. Yeah. You had, um, you know, he was talking, you know, he was talking about, you know, he was going through his own, stuff and he was doing the the ketamine therapy ketamine. we talked about that which i was just like wow that's wild because i used to do ketamine with the vision of disorder guys back in the 90s and i remember just being paralyzed up against a mirror like not able to move so it's probably different than than, than that i hope yeah you know but he was saying that you know and that's what i wanted to kind of talk about was just that you know you seemed like uh he mentioned that you were going that you had gone through a really rough time you know, yeah. and you, you guys started to talk about it a little bit, but then it was just like, you know, you were interviewing Trevor. So you just kind of like switched back into that mode. And and I was just wondering, like, what was what was this rough patch that you were going through or what was what was happening? I mean, if you don't have, if you don't want to talk about it. Then no, it's it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, I, I can talk about it now. Um, but to be honest with you back then, I, I didn't want to talk about it. You know, it was really I was just coming out of that shell, to be honest. Um so my my dad was very as i mentioned earlier uh an inspiration to a lot of the things in my life i mean i ride motorcycles because of him i listen to music because of him and have tattoos because of him and play drums i i am metal injection because of him you know and uh he when he was 59 like going into 60 he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer yeah, pancreatic cancer. And um, it was super unexpected, like out of nowhere. It was actually a really hard time because both of my parents were in the hospital at the same time. My mom was having a triple bypass. Um, and my dad was just like losing weight rapid. And we thought it was because he was trying, but there, it just seemed too rapid. And we got concerned. So we had him checked out and it was a tumor. And, you know, we, 
they, I had both parents in different hospitals and like running back and forth and lying wow. to both of them. Like, yeah, they're okay. Cause my mom had a really bad time with, with kind of coming bouncing back from her surgery. She was there longer than expected because she wasn't doing well, you know, with it. So I was just going through a really hard time of, of lying to both of them and visiting both of them in, in different hospitals. And um, eventually my mom, she got through it, but there is like a six month recovery period, you know, uh, with, with a bypass surgery like that. And in that time, you know, my dad just progressively got worse and worse and, you know, it, it became, it's been the, the biggest fear of my entire life was losing my parents, you know, And, and death is something that I've, uh, grappled with, you know, my entire life. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm very afraid of it, you know, always have been naturally. I think a lot of people are, um, but losing my parents was something that I've envisioned so many times in different scenarios. You know, we always thought it was going to be like a motorcycle accident with my dad, you know, cause he was just always on a motorcycle and for it to be this and kind of go down this way. Like I, watched my dad who's just you know covered in tattoos from neck down and you know metal dude and kind of always upbeat and and everybody who ever met him loved him and talked to him and stuff and um to watch him become the most vulnerable closed off human or a shell of a human rather you know like what pancreatic cancer does to you like and watching it you know in front of my face And then I was, you know, he died in my arms, you know, he took his, he took his last steps in my arms. Um, and then he went to septic shock and I rushed him to a hospital and, you know, I mean, we basically were living at hospitals for like nine months, you know, with him, but going through the whole ordeal of, uh, being there for every, every bit of it, you know, the deterioration and, and then I started Slay at Home in some ways as a response to what was happening in quarantine, but also like my own psychosis. Like I started having like really, really severe panic attacks and I was hospitalized seven times um, oh. because like, you know, random people would find me in the streets fucking convulsing and shit, you know, and, and didn't know what to do. And I kept going to the hospital because I didn't know what was wrong with me. I just like, I, there was out of nowhere. I was just seizuring and stuff, you know? And it turns out it was just panic, panic attacks over and over and over again. And they, I get them real bad. And, you know, I, the slay at home thing was kind of a response to like trying to do something positive that my dad can watch, you know, before he goes, or maybe it was me trying to do something to make him proud or whatever. I don't know. Like, but it was like the entire, the entire nine months was just like pain, nothing but pain. And, um, I think what I know now is going through the trauma therapy. Cause I, you know, after all that happened, I fell apart, you know, and, and like I said, you know, he died in my arms, uh, being there for that was the most horrific thing I've ever experienced in my life. I think there isn't a single day still where I don't think about you know, his, his last breath and and him slipping away and me holding him for two hours until he went 
freezing cold, you know, and, and then the coroner is coming in and, and, you know, my mom and sister, they left, you know, as soon as it happened and cause they couldn't be there, you know, but I, I, I was in shock, you know, and I was just holding him and freezing and, uh, they came to bag him and try to pull me away and I, I didn't want to leave. So I was there for the bagging and the cleaning and everything, which I really wish I wasn't, you know, going back and, and thinking about that. Um, and I, I, I've always had a problem with uh, depression and anxiety and it just became really apparent, you know, that these were issues that took over my life. Um, and after he was gone, I, I hated the world. I didn't want to be here anymore. Uh, three days after he passed away, a good friend of mine uh, committed suicide. Oh um, and that was another blow, but like, I, I feel like I couldn't even get the full effect of it simply because I was like in too much trauma with my dad, you know? And uh it led me to a really dark time where I didn't want to be here anymore, you know, and, and, uh, I was pretty suicidal and stuff and, um, needed to go through therapy and, and mental readjustment and everything like that, you know, and, uh, and then also go find the psychiatric help that I needed, you know, um, anti depressives and stuff like that. And, um, even that was a trial and error type thing, but ultimately I had to get in a car and just go. And that's when I said earlier, I was living in national parks and stuff, you know, across the U S mm -hmm. honestly, I think that more than anything is what saved me is just kind of going through this grounded, you know, thing where I was just like feeling nature everywhere I went and you know, remembering why I'm here and, and why life is precious and what it's worth, you know? And, um, I ended up in LA just to go right back to New York several months later. And, and then that's when I needed to readjust my life and I became a digital nomad. So, so it's funny that a lot of stuff that we talked about today all stemmed from, from that, from my, my dad passing and me completely falling apart in the worst way possible and picking up the pieces, you know, and, and here I am, it's, it's a year and a half later and I'm by no means cured or anything. I've, I've been dealing with depression my entire life, but I'm cured in the sense that I'm nowhere near where I was, you know, uh, during those really dark times. And that was another thing, you know, like when I started talking to people like Trevor and, and Dave Davidson and a lot of the guests that I had on, you know, I, I kind of, I needed a six month reset from talking to people, you know, and interviewing people. And, you know, because the last thing you think about is like, oh, well, I got to fucking, you know, promote this person's endeavor or whatever, right, right. you know, like you, it's the furthest thing from your mind. You, and I, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But at first I was just like, let me talk to my friends, you know, on camera and see where it goes. Let's talk about real feelings. Let's talk about real things. You know, Trevor was one of the first and it was a really uh, sensitive time for both of us, you know? And uh, yeah, so that's, that's really what that was all about. 
Wow. That is so heavy. I mean, like, it's, you know, it's it's horrible what you went through. And, and that's, and, uh, you know, talking to you, it's clear to me that you're definitely not in that place, you know, anymore, which is awesome to hear. But, man, that's, uh, <laughs> it kind of puts this whole conversation in perspective, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a... A fan of life, you know, and an enthusiast, really. Yeah. You know, uh, if if I can change my life so many times over, coming from like, you know, just a fucking poor street kid in Brooklyn to owning, you know, one of the biggest companies in heavy metal and getting to hang out with really cool people and travel the world and shit like that, you know, I I truly believe that anyone could do it. You know, like that you could with enough devotion, attention, willpower, you could make anything happen really. And, and, but it starts mentally. You like, you have to have like a real mental adjustment or, or, um, a, a path there, you know, to get there. And because without that man, like, and, and I felt it, you know, not what, not even two years ago, just a year and a half ago, like I fell a fucking part and I wasn't, I wouldn't say better until maybe, I don't know, nine months ago, really, you know? Yeah. And this is, this sounds like it was probably six months into the pandemic about. Yeah. That was, which is strange to like have to go through all of this during the height of quarantine and yeah. stuff where we're being told not to leave your house and all this other stuff. And, yeah. you know, I mean, like, it's kind of lucky that you got to even hold your dad, really. That was a very, yeah, that was, that was a hurdle unto itself, to be honest with you. Like, um, we couldn't see him for a month. And in that month, he just got so much worse. So when I basically said, I don't care what the fucking doctors say, like, I got to go see my dad, you know? So, cause they were living in Pennsylvania and I was in New York. So I drove out to Pennsylvania and I basically, I was just like, I haven't seen anyone in a month, you know, I, you know, no one's seeing anyone anyway. So if you guys are the only person people that I am seeing, like it might as well be my family, my parents, you know? And um, yeah, every time we, we admitted him into the hospital, cause he went into septic shock several times, you know, it wasn't just like a clear decline. It was just like so many right. events of like hope and right. just to be dragged back down again and hope and dragged back down again. And um, there's a lot of mental shit there too like having conversations with my dad and like i i sensed it was coming you know i don't think that my mom and sister wanted to um admit it you know but my dad talked very candidly with me you know and he knew that it was happening and and he just wanted somebody to be honest with you know like the doctors because when you're dying nobody wants to tell you that you're dying right. you know like they want to give present hope I guess it's, a, to it's you. like a false hope, you know? Yeah. In a lot of ways. But, but my dad just wanted somebody to talk to. And that was me, you know, he never, I always urged him to go talk to therapists or something like that, but you know, he didn't want to, he just wanted to talk to me and, uh, and he did. And, and I actually recorded a lot of those conversations. My last conversations with my dad That's amazing. and, and I recorded, amazing. I recorded, Maybe it's the, you know, the documenter in me. And I've, I've had these discussions with my therapist, you know, like, why do I do this? 
you know, I don't, I don't like, it's just instinctual to me. Like, why am I documenting my dad dying? You know, but I did. But you were probably talking about his life, right? Like you're not just talking about him dying. No, no. I mean, I asked him a lot of questions about him early on, right? Um, about like motors. How did he get into motorcycles and all that? Like it was, it was kind of like interviewing him really. Yeah. How fucking yeah. cool. Yeah. So I, I kind of got to interview my dad. I also told him that I always dreamed about writing. Probably a song. was a great distraction for your dad, you know, to not think about this shit going on in his life, you know. Yeah, I mean, I look back. I've only listened to them once, to be honest with you. Um, since then, I got yeah, because it's really hard. Yeah, but um, you know, if you listen to it, you would never know he's sick. He just sounds like him, like you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, but even though he was like, you know, emaciated down to like ninety pounds you know, down from like, he was always pretty heavy, I guess, like 250 or something down to 90 pounds. It's just like less than half a human. Um, I even uh, went as far as to tell him, you know, I always wanted to write a song with him and had him just hum for me, you know, <laughs> so I could turn it into a song later. Wow. And uh, wow, you know, I was, it was kind of a really, really, I got to get all like fucking teared up here jesus christ <laughs> thinking about my dad like you know fuck that's heavy man yeah that's awesome dude that's awesome like what a great idea like you get him to hum a melody and you're going to turn it into a song yeah it's eventually it's honestly all that stuff is still really hard for me um you know thinking about it talking about it apparently um but yeah a lot of those reflecting on it is still really hard and like i said i i think about even momentarily, it just pops in my brain, you know, every He's single day. Young, right? Like 59, you said? Yeah. So he, he really passed away young. when he was 60. Yeah. Really young. Yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, yeah, I had really young parents, which is why I got to do cool shit with them, you know, right. like going to shows and whatnot. Right. No, I think that that's really cool that you did that. I think that what a, I've never even thought about anything like that. What a cool idea. You know? Well, you know, I, there's no time like the present. If you ever want to do something, do it now. Yeah. You know, and, I'll, I'll uh, help you put your song together if you want. <laughs> be amazing. I'll throw some riffs at you or something. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Yeah. That's wild, dude. Yeah. When you listen to the video or when you listen to your, uh, did your video, your just audio recording or the video? Yeah. It was all audio. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't want it's anyone. Like on, your, like on your phone or something. Yeah. He didn't want anyone to see him. Um, that was even like a thing when we got to the wake, like he just, he never wanted his friends to see him, you know, like that. Yeah. So, yeah. It's funny. I interviewed my dad too. Um, on the phone. He, we had a scare and he, he was fine. This is a while ago. It was a couple of years, a few years back now, but it was a trip. It was a trip interview to interview your dad. Right? <laughs> like, this is before I was even podcasting. I was just like, I just wanted to doubt, you know, my dad's got a crazy story. Like, let's fucking record this thing. And it was, uh, I don't know. It was cool, man. Like you learn. I mean, did you, did you feel like you learned things about your dad that you never knew? Of course. During this time? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, he, you know, there were certain times throughout life where I would ask him a question and he would just he, sort of like I do. <laughs> if, if you ask me, you know, years ago, at least. So if you ask me a very serious question, I'll just give you a joke, you know, okay. like, cause I didn't have to answer it. I didn't want to. Um, and he would do that all the time, but 
it was a time when he was willing to answer anything that I asked him. So I kind of took advantage of that. And, and I definitely learned a lot, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, towards the end, we just talked as much as we possibly could until he literally couldn't anymore. You know, um, that last, as a matter of fact, I can tell you another story. Um, but we never got to ride motorcycles together, which is, he always said that his two biggest regrets were not being able to ride together with me and not traveling with me. I try to get him to travel so many times. Um, you know, he was in the Marine Corps and he did a bunch when he was younger, but like in his older days, he just never got around to it. He always hated the idea of like having to take off his shoes and all this other stuff. I'm like, just get, you know, TSA pre or whatever. And you're fine. Just chill, man. <laughs> Um, so I finally got him to like, Sometimes renew. your parents are like that though. Like they make a big, like what the fuck? Like who cares? <laughs> Seriously, like 10 <laughs> seconds of your day is going to stop you from like having this crazy experience. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. That's parents for you. Uh, but I, I got him to renew his, his passport and get uh TSA and everything. And we never got to use it, you know? Um, cause he was diagnosed like three months later. Okay. And the you know motorcycle thing never happened either for one reason or another and you know mostly because you put off stuff and you just never know that it's going to happen you know you're like oh next year next year it's fine you know and then and then it's too late um but i was in pennsylvania and he clearly was just he couldn't hold things let alone like lift a bike or anything like that um, so I took out one of his motorcycles and I strapped a GoPro to my chest and I went out on a ride and I came back and he's, he started yelling. He's just, he's like, it's too late to be out. The deers are coming out. And he's just more worried about me, you know? Um, and I was like, sorry, you know, I didn't, I didn't mean to scare you. And he was like, you know, laid up in bed upstairs, but he could, he could just hear like, where I am, you know, around in Pennsylvania. Okay. This is the house. This, this is at the house. Yeah. Where he's living. Yeah. And uh, he can hear me coming back and he knows that it's like evening now. And, uh, you know, so I apologize. It's like, sorry, I, I, you know, I wanted to go out for an important ride. He's like, what's so important. And uh, I showed him as this guy, I wanted to take you on a ride with me, you know? So I gave him my phone and I showed him, you know, an hour of GoPro footage of me riding. And I was like, this is, you know, I know that you always wanted to ride with me. And he started crying and said it was like the greatest thing of his life. And he wanted me to put it on his computer so he can watch it every day. Wow. And, uh, and uh, four hours later, he went into septic shock and he couldn't talk or walk or do anything anymore. You know, so I'm glad I got to do that at least, you know. Right. That's a great, man what a good son you are <laughs> you know like what a great memory to leave your your dad yeah yeah that's awesome dude that's a hell of a story man yeah that's a hell of, dude it's a hell of a story i mean you know no one wants to think about their parents dying and you know like i'm sitting here thinking you know and i'm thinking of my dad my dad's 85 you know so like I get where he's got fucking COVID right now. Like my fucking jackass cousin gave him fucking COVID, like went and visited him knowing he was sick. I was like, dude, what the fuck? Like so mad at him. You know, but 
anybody listening, call your parents. Right. <laughs> totally, right? Like call your parents. Tell your parents, you know. Tell, uh, tell your parents all the times that you did drugs. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't need to do that. But tell them ask you love them. them ask and... them about all the times they did drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that is fun. That's a fun conversation. That's a really, it is, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, is this a time that you did that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked my dad about drugs and drinking and different illegal shit he did. And, you know, because, you know, my dad, he's, he's an MC, one percenter, right? So, you know, he's always an outlaw doing weird shit. Uh, I don't condemn a lot of it, but you know, he did it and it's, it's interesting knowing where he came from and knowing maybe why I am this way. I don't know. <laughs> right. Like it's shit you'd never ask your dad though. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, you, you couldn't just like under normal times be like, Hey, so did you ever do cocaine or fuck hookers or you know, whatever the fuck you asked? You know? Yeah. Yeah. All of it. <laughs> does he ask you, does he ask you these questions? No, no, no. And, and I don't think I would be ready to answer those questions either. You know what I mean? No. But maybe it's just where he was in life right? that allowed him to do that and break down those barriers and have a real conversation, you know? Um, but that's not to say that, you know, if you ask your parents that they, they won't answer. Yeah. You know, because as what I've, I've learned is I love to talk to older people. They have some really... I mean, we, we kind of make fun of the old people because they are set in their ways and, you know, right. whatever else. But like, listen, we literally stand on the ground that they've put down for us. You know, uh, I'm a huge history nerd. And if you even look at life 100 years ago, a little over 100 years ago, you know, how different it was, how different of a country we were. You know, we didn't even have indoor fucking plumbing. Right. You know, refrigerators. Refrigerator. Yeah. We're going back like, like the 1930s, you know, yeah. um, you know, the interstate system wasn't actually finished until like 1985. Right. We, we take these things for granted, but you know, it's not that far off. No. And our parents lived through a lot of this crazy shit that, that we can't even fathom. So it's worth talking to them and, and getting a different perspective. For sure, man. I'll tell you what, dude. This has been an awesome conversation. And yeah. I really, I really, uh, you know, I want to thank you for opening up at the end here about everything that went on. I'm sure it was tough to talk about, but fuck, man, like that was, that was rad. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, and thank you very much for, uh, you know, for asking, I guess. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd, I'd probably do something similar. Like if, you know, like the going on a motorcycle trip and just like getting the fuck away. Like I could totally relate to that. Sometimes it's what you need, man. You know, yeah. just reset by yourself, get, you know, come in close contact with nature and, and start all over again. And um, yeah, nature has definitely become a massive part of my every day. Like at least, at least 10 to 20 minutes of my day has to be somewhere in a park in nature meditating. And that's right. how I feel right, you know. Well, dude, thank you for being on No Fucking Regrets. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure, seriously. Ladies and gentlemen, the mighty, mighty Frank Godla, Metal Injection. Metal sucks. No fucking regrets! With Rob Flynn.